Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's definitely better. That is definitely better. And guess what, fellas? We are live on this Sunday. Listen, it's an honor to be sitting here uh, with Mike Pond, the legend himself, the owner of Toon Racing. I can't wait to get into this one. Of course, my good buddy, Mark Sherman. Um, Pinda Gas, my co-host today. Uh, it's it's an honor to be sitting down here with you two gentlemen on this fine Sunday afternoon. And uh, first, before we get into all this, I just want to say congratulations, Mike, on your wedding, bro. I appreciate that. I'm a lucky man. Yeah, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Absolutely. And Mark Sherman, uh, he's he, he's got a wedding coming up here uh, next year, which I'm super excited about. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a good party and in good times. I see you back there with. <laughs> Liquid death, right? Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. You should be sponsored, right? Yeah, well, I don't have a sponsor, so mine's on the generic cup. I'm waiting for that logo to show up, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a pair, right? Like, rub it and, and hopefully a little pair. Like, like when we was a kid, you remember those little things you could rub and the image would appear when you was little, yeah, yeah. All right? Good. We're taking it back old school right now on that one, yeah. But anyway, dude, let's get into this. I've been waiting on this one for a long time, and again, like I said, Mikey, thank you so much for taking your time to sit down with me and Mark today and, uh, and do this podcast. So let's get my it, pleasure, man. man. I've, I've been looking forward to it myself ever since we spoke, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. Uh, good times coming, I thought. Uh, it absolutely. Oh, is. absolutely, absolutely. Yes. So Mark, uh, I have to say, I've been enjoying seeing all the pictures you're posting too. Congratulations, man. It's nice oh, yeah. finding the right person, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a least expected. And uh yeah, like that's one of the best ones. That's all it took. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. You just I, I don't know, I've always seen it and uh in other people, and I just thought, eh, you know, you just have to I you know, you just figure it out. I don't know if I'm gonna get the right person. I mean, you think you're with the right person, but there's always something, there's yeah. red flags here or there, and it can be on both parts, not just about the person, but for the other person and me as well. Um, but right. yeah, uh, when I was a little I jealous, I'd see other people that really were wanting to be together. They didn't, you know, they just, yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, so communication comes easier. I, I found that when I Enough found the person that clicked, that clicked right, you know, everything was just easier. Yeah, so. and that's just it. And you don't fight, you, 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 it just kind of, you know, I've always been a person that's can, has been able to be alone. I, it doesn't bother me, it doesn't bother right. me to, uh, um, be by myself, even in a relationship or, you know, whatever. But uh, actually I get more, um, um, we both kind of not irritated, but when we're not together, it's harder, right. which has never been my experience in my life. And I'm 58. So. <laughs> well, congratulations, man. Well, thank you. Yeah. Good times coming. So j just touch on that since, since we're on this, uh, I actually met my wife on a blind date, uh, Never seen her before. I seen this was back when MySpace was around. I know everybody remembers MySpace, <laughs> right? The MySpace page. A buddy I worked with, his wife, they worked together at an insurance company. They're like, hey, we want you to meet this girl. I think you're perfect. Blah blah blah. We try to meet up several times. Of course, you know, stuff comes up, blah, blah, blah. But when we did end up meeting, it was uh I actually took one of my friends that just got done with a divorce uh with me on my blind date. Uh because he was going through this hard time and needed somebody to be with him. So I was like, so guy that just got divorced is going to give you advice. <laughs> right. Right. So, well, you know, I just wanted him to, you know, just, just have a couple beers, loosen up, have a good time. Right. Um, but she was out there with, with some of her friends too, the, the couple that, you know, introduced us. We hung out for a while and then we, yeah, it was good. It's good stuff. But listen, Mike, um, how did you get into motorcycles to begin with at, at a young age? Like who introduced you to motorcycles? Where did the love for it all begin? Uh, well, my mom, when I was a little kid, my mom had a Honda in the eighties 
one of the old CB 600s, I think it was. And, uh, she was probably one of the first. And I had an uncle that had gold wings that rode back and forth across country. That was, my dad was into classic cars, but he did buy me my, I guess, technically my first motorcycle in third grade. So it was a 72 Yamaha Enduro, the 175. Mm-hmm. It's bigger than me and it was hard to pick up. Well, that's all I remember. We lived out <laughs> in the desert, so I ride it till I get hit reserve and then hope that you get close back to the house before reserve runs out. So you didn't have to push it the rest of the way, right? Oh yeah. Multiple <clears throat> times. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, after, after, after that, well, where did it go? Well, I, I don't know. I started started a business early. I worked real hard. So my twenties were invested a lot into that. And then when I, it started getting a little more successful, I got to where I was back into racing again rather than motocross. Though I got into supermoto at the time and uh, ran that on the west coast. So I met some pretty cool people like Frankie Garcia. Uh, a lot of those guys I met from supermoto. <clears throat> Uh, Frankie, I actually, my first national event was at Daytona. I took Frankie on my spare, on my other bike and he raced the 200 and I raced super sport back or that at that time. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a good guy. A good friend. Yeah. Frankie's cool. Yeah. He's really cool. Yeah. He, yeah. yeah. We saw him at, uh, at the Jersey there yep. and Daytona. Yeah. Good. Stuff. So then you, uh, you graduated into the Weira then, huh? And started racing. Well, I, no, actually, WSMC, Willow Springs. Oh, That's where I cut my teeth. I rode, you know, a few track days at multiple different tracks, but but in Willow, I called my home track because I was 30 minutes away from there. But to start racing, Willow Springs was the ticket. And uh, yeah, I loved the place. Uh, after being in WSMC for two or three years, it, the uh, organization ran into some issues, and uh, another friend of mine started uh, Moto West GP out of same area or out of Willow Springs, and we rest through that for a few years. And with Wira and AFM, and you know, pretty much any, anybody that let us throw a leg over a bike, we'd go. That's awesome, man. So, what what got you into? Did you ever ride on the street before you actually did your first track day, or very a little bit? I mean, in 1998, I bought a street bike, rode it for a while, ended up getting in an accident, and. I lost my shoulder, compounded my wrist, part of my liver, and my ankle. And a big crash. Uh, yeah. I spent some time in the hospital. And uh, after that, I, I didn't get back into bikes until probably about 2001. Uh, I bought a 600. Months later, I bought an RC51. I uh, started doing track days a lot. Got back, and that's when I got into the supermoto racing again. And uh, 2007, I think it was. I got my new racer's license for road racing. 2008, I got my expert license. And uh, 2010, we I raced around quite a bit. 12, we started. I started the national team. Uh, at that time, I had a tuning center in California. So I was tuning motorcycles and working on bikes throughout the week just to fund the team to roll out on the weekends. Yeah, it's a lot of money in this. Yeah, it wasn't, there was a lot of people at play, I have to say. You know, I was a very fortunate person in that everybody I worked with on my team loved it. Uh, they're passionate about racing. They're passionate about the team. They're happy to be there. You know, I got to work with uh, Bryce Prince real closely. He put in a lot of hard work and hard time into doing racing to make sure that we got to where we had to go. Um, Alex Eisner, he was another crucial point or part of the team. 
most of you guys remember him as a bearded guy that was mm-hmm. kind of telling everybody what to do in the pits because <laughs> uh, yeah. he was my trackside manager and you know I, there's numerous guys i could say here and name them off uh, for quite some time uh, mike castro uh, people know him as fuzzy fuzzy yeah that's my yeah. dude right there yep. yeah yeah we've worked with him for a long time i mean uh uncle randy uh we know him as but uh oh we, we just we had so many crucial people and uh i'm thankful to, for every one of them because they they all you know put in that little piece that made tune racing what it was made it pre- us present the way we did because we weren't the richest team in the paddock by any any means close but we worked re- extra hard to make up for it oh yeah not only that but i mean you guys were always so much fun to be around whenever it's going <laughs> to the rig uh mess around you always had time and uh yeah, it was everybody. Yeah, like you said, everybody wanted to be there. It wasn't like they felt like it was a paycheck, you know. Or... Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great guys. They just a whole another family of mine. You know, the racing paddock itself is a family. You, know, you, you, you get along with some family, great. Some of them you, you bang heads with, and then some of them uh, you can't wait to see again, you know. Yeah, it's all hugs and smiles at the end of the day anyway. With the oh, family, yeah, for you know sure. Saying? Yeah, so uh, the RC51, man, listen, it's always been one of my dream bikes. I actually just got one. Well, I've had it for several months now, um, <clears throat> and I love it, right? Um, it's a great bike. It really is. Iconic. Mike Wheeler says, RC51, glutton for punishment. Right. <laughs> so right. I've never done a track day on, on the RC. What uh, w- w- What's that like? Do you ever race it? Uh, I never, I never raced it, but I did quite a few track days on it. You know, it's a lot of torque. I uh, pulled great out of the corner. Mine would wheelie up in fifth gear, so it it wasn't a power problem. It wasn't anything special. I just had it geared where it, it worked good for the track. So that's awesome. I yeah. didn't really get heavily into the track though until I started getting on the Honda Thousands RRs, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I went to new racer school with too. I just that's what I had. I had a couple of them. So uh, I made one my track bike and one my street bike. And once the track bike got crashed, then the street bike graduated to be a track bike. Uh, when I, honestly, when I switched to 600s, I started going faster. I religiously went two seconds faster at every racetrack that I ever raced at on a 600 over my thousand. Because you just learn to carry speed. You get It's easier to dial the chassis and that kind of stuff. But, you know, now I think if I went back out on a thousand, I would go faster. But Oh, yeah. The smaller bikes, like we were talking about with the R3 and the 400s earlier, it's so crucial in developing those skills and, you know, that uh, mentality on manipulating the chassis to work with you instead of against you. When you just lean on the handlebars, you're trying to influence 90% of the bike with only the 10% in front of the steering stem. And it's, it tends to want to push the front end when you got that much more weight pushing. But if you lean on the peg and let the chassis lean in with it, it all works together, right? Yeah, yeah, and you know what? It's all comes down to fundamentals, right? You're starting at that that uh, lower bike and and learning how it it works. I mean, right. I was listening to Kayla Yakov at, at Jersey talking about the difference between the Yamaha and uh, what she was on, you know. And she's asking the guys that they were blipping it, and she's like, "Oh no, I don't blip it. I just go," you know. So, uh, yeah, it's good. yeah. She's you a know, she's a amazing talent. I tell you. I'm excited to see where she goes. Well, I, I always say this because uh, I'm probably her number one fan, but uh, I, I've known her for quite a while, even back when they were in the paddock trying to get rides and, and get noted. And, you know, everyone always made fun of me because I, t- I said, I think she's got something. You know, those are girls have gone through quite a bit and, and right. uh, in a short period of time. 
and some pretty heavy stuff. And my wife was a bit. big fan of hers from this, and she's seen her. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off. No, 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 no. But I mean, you know, even some personal stuff. She handles it like a champ, and she just has that in her. It's a, just an ability that she has. It's who she is. It's not something that's taught, you know. And when you see somebody like that, that comes along, that that I I believed from that time, you know, I think that and that she's going to be incredible. And, I, and people are always like, "Well, you know, just wait till she has puberty or this or that. It's going to change." Mm, right. Yeah. She's <laughs> who she is. She she is a go getter. She's uh she's very marketable. So I'm so happy she got with Ray Hall, which I, I, I knew that was gonna happen. <laughs> but I'm really glad because uh this is really gonna step her up, step her game right. up, and then maybe... she's got the talent and the personality. There's other kids out in the paddock that have a lot of talent, but they don't quite have that same personality. And no, and you don't go very far because you have to be marketable, as you know, because teams need to make money to keep the wheels going. And if you're not a marketable type of rider and you're not winning everything, you know. Right. Uh, Nowadays, it doesn't even just winning doesn't cut the mustard. It really doesn't. You have to be that marketable person that sells yourself, the team, you know, has a cause, that type of thing. Yeah. And social media is so big in our sport today, right? Like it it almost seems like you got to have that on your resume and a certain amount of followers and active and all this. What do you bring to the team? What you bring into the team and all this good stuff. But dude, Eli Colby. So, Mike, you, you know Eli Colby? Uh, Eli familiar. Block, yeah, he 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 won the the last two races in Jersey in the rain. Okay, yeah, Spanked yeah, spanked everybody, right? So Eli's a good friend of mine, and uh, he actually gave me his leather suit hanging up in the background right here um, that I hang up. Man, him and his dad were when I met him in Jersey was freaking awesome, man. We had such a good time, and th- this is what he said: he said track family is the best family, no matter who you are, a racer, a spectator, or some guy named Chris at Jersey. We all love them, and of course, give them a Red Bull because I used to, I'd go by his truck, like, hey man, you got another Red Bull? <laughs> and they kept a fresh <laughs> stock of Red Bull, so yeah, man, that, that, that was good time. So, uh, transitioning from racer to team owner at Tuned Racing, Mike, what was the progression, and how did all that come about? Well, 2015, we were at Laguna Seca, and, uh, you know, budgets were thin as it was. So I was taking tires off of one of my riders' bikes and putting them on mine for me to go out for my next session because I raced in the lower class. And I caught myself going off and turned six three times that weekend, thinking about tire budgets. And, and I realized that weekend that, that that's my destiny. It's time to hang the helmet up for a while and focus on growing the team and giving an opportunity to these kids that are working so hard for it. Uh, So that was my last national round. And that was in 2015, 2016, as you guys know, Bryce did, I did really well. Uh, Aguilar was doing well that year too. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, things, Aguilar was the next big, big one in the seat for Superstock, which he won in 17. Uh, You know, these guys were awesome and it was time. But it was a hard pill to swallow, I have to say. I didn't race from 2015 until 2019 at all. And I got talked into it 2019 one weekend. And, and I was hooked all over again, man. It was <laughs> yeah. like it was a drug. You had to be there every weekend. Yeah, and during the week, I'm tuning on the bike. That, it's, it's well, you did everything trip. for that team, though. You yeah. even drove the rig because I remember having a discussion with you about because, uh, you know, I was a driver for uh, UPS for, well, I don't know, 16 years. And uh, 
I remember uh, you had the rig and you, you were telling me, I said, well, um, when you get to the weigh stations or whatever, you know, you get pulled or DOT, I said, do you have a CDL? And you said, no, because I have it, I have it licensed as a private coach or something, I think you said. Yeah, yeah. well, that well, one like, registered, titled and registered as a private coach. Yeah. Uh, but I've had a CDL for 28 plus years. Oh, you know, okay, so you've had it. Yeah, long, since I first turned 18. Yeah. But I still I have how long I've had it. I still have the truck trailer and all the equipment. I'm actually looking to see if I can. Uh, well, you guys, like I mentioned earlier, Alex Eisner, uh, I'm looking to see if we can help out, you know, three or four racers with transportation, that kind of stuff, and just roll all my equipment. As far as I know, or as to me, it's better for me to help somebody out and get the insurance paid where it don't come out of my pocket for the year. And, uh, that exactly. kind of stuff. And it, the truck's going to stay in better shape when it's rolling. Rather yeah, than say it's not, the diesel's not good to sit there like that for sure. Right. Yeah. So I'm hoping that something comes together with that. You know, it'd be Alex handling the trend or the uh, logistics side of it and all that. I, I have a full-time position right now where I could help out on weekends and whatnot, but not during the week. Yeah. So <clears throat> did you get the same satisfaction of being a team owner at, or, or a racer? I wish I could lie to you and say, yes, it was, but you know, obviously riding a bike, there's nothing like riding. Uh, and there's nothing to replace riding except for maybe flying a plane. Uh, oh, I agree there. Cause that's me. So, <laughs> so, so do you fly? Mike? Uh, I have flown. I've got about 20 hours, but I don't have a license. I also I have some big RC planes that uh, I haven't flown in a few years, but I've flown a lot. So you did what I did. So I actually worked for American Airlines as a crew chief for quite a few years back in the nineties. And, uh, I, uh, wow. I just didn't wow. have, I just didn't have the, uh, ability or the money to get my private license. So, uh, I grew up in Chicago, so I worked out of O'Hare and there was a private FBO north of there. Uh, well, it was Glenview, Glenview Naval Air Station where I started my lessons, but then I ran out of money with a CAP. So I actually had a, uh, fighter pilot that was teaching me and we took off nice. and we, he started yelling at me about, you know, engine out, where are you going to land, where are you going to land? And it took me like a few seconds and he's like, turn on your dead land. And I was just like, ugh. but uh, <laughs> it wasn't like your regular CFIs, you know. That, right. But, um, but yeah, so I was in I charge was of all the alcohol. A, at, at I had a airport. really good friend that uh, had a little uh, Cherokee 160. And uh, so I had plenty of uh, flight time before I had flight time, if you will. Uh, that's a, that's what I would do. I would literally go on every flight that they left. If they had maintenance flight, if whatever it was, they would call me. And I actually flew with a guy that back when Kodak film was still film, he would go from Chicago, Chicago to Finley, Ohio, on a Mitsubishi MU2, which they couldn't rent out because it had a high crash rate and the insurance right. was high for passengers. So we used it for cargo. And I flew with them for a whole year between there and I'd come back overnight. We'd be back in Chicago at 5 a.m. and I'd go to work at 7 so That's, yeah that, that makes for hard days yeah but yeah but when you're <laughs> young it was a lot of fun and then we got i got to get on the simulators and i transferred to dallas and uh um about two three in the morning sometimes they would do um maintenance on like the 767 simulator so they'd say you guys want to come in and, and you know fly and so we'd go in and it was a lot of fun nice. That was my calling. That's where I missed it. I should have went to Monk will put 40 years in with American Airlines there in Tulsa. Well, oh, at maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Nice. We used nice. to ferry planes up there. I would do that too. If they would have a ferry thing, boom, you know. Um, and as a crew chief in Dallas, because it's so big, um, 
that um, once you're qualified with an A&P mechanic, you can actually taxi the airplane to the gate from the hangar. So we would do that too, which was a lot of fun. Of course, we'd mess with passengers. But that's <laughs> another story for another time. Right, right. Hit, hit the oxygen mask. Boom. Everybody put the oxygen mask on. We got a problem. Maybe see everybody freak out. Yeah. But so flying my, and racing does go together. I can it see does. it. Yeah. Well, yeah, you get that same kind of attention. And that's what I always liked about it is because my mind's not on a hundred things. I can focus in on on the bike and everything needed to happen right then. So Right. You gotta always be ahead, especially with airline, you know, with planes, you know. Right. Yeah, my dad, he's a pilot. He's been he's a fighter pilot in the Navy. He's been with United since eighty four, eighty three. He's a Your cat. Dad? Yeah, yeah. How did I not know this when I saw Yeah, him? sorry. Yeah, I just oh didn't say God. that. Yeah, well, dude. It's he... better you didn't because I probably would have been talking to him for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> I probably want to watch the race. But I remember when he used to take me up uh flying in little Cessna planes. Um and I, 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 Yeah, I, I, I I, I guess it was. Uh, I just remember going. Uh, we left the airport. We 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 pulled up, and he was like, "Okay, you get to fly." And I had to, you know, and all this cool shit, right? Uh, but I remember going over a lake, and all of a sudden the plane just going and coming back up. That was like my first experience in a little plane. I've flown all my life on big planes, right? You don't feel that really on a big plane, but on those small planes, no, you, feel but you get that. More. You get oh, that because it updrafts over the water. Yeah, you always get that. Yeah, I mean, oh, my yeah. first experience. The first time landing and you get that ground effect so i was in that turkey and the plane jumped up four feet off the runway and i told my buddy as i'll take the controls he says you got this i said take the effing controls <laughs> you don't want to do like, you old, got this but you better hurry because you're running out of runway yeah make a decision real quick right. yeah that cherokee was 60 that wasn't a stick was it no that no still, it, still a yoke okay yeah yeah they uh i've been in some really crappy stuff i've been in uh my ultimate goal is a, a Blue Angel ride. Oh, I wow. watch the videos yeah. and everyone's like, Lunk. you know, they're, or they're throwing up. I'm like, yeah, if I could ever get that, that would be like amazing. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, that would be proper, right? To, but so my favorite just F14. I always wanted to go up an F14 Tomcat, pass out, puke on myself, just be like, yes, look at this. I had so much fun. Oh, no, this is part of the anymore. experience. That's an old dinosaur now, the F35. Yeah, it's just new. like it does stuff that's aerodynamically almost impossible the turns that this thing makes yeah it's, it's, it's crazy it is it, it is so have you guys ever been skydiving before you ever you flow planes you ever jumped out of one i have once yeah i was always told that uh you're crazy if you jump out of a perfectly good airplane so i have not done it i'm not saying well that that's the thing where i went to fly it was in taft california and the plane dude the fuselage was moving over six inches as we're taking off and flying through the air and you look at each other and go like, I don't want to land in this damn thing. So that's how they, you know, they help increase your confidence of jumping. By <laughs> I the plane they they do. <laughs> yeah, I did it. I, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, when I went to MMI, me and my buddies, uh, two of my buddies come out from Virginia and stay with me for two weeks. So it was like 11,000 feet, some shit like that. Man, I'll never forget it. And I was, so that's how I come with my fair heights. Like I wouldn't get on a ladder barely, right? I was just, I was like a pussy when it comes to heights. I mean, I ain't gonna lie, right? So I told my buddies, I was like, yeah, talking shit. If you ever come out here, I'll skydive. Sure enough, here they come, right? And I'm shitting my pants. It's a three-hour <laughs> ride. We get there. Everybody's talking shit, right? Like, yeah, I'm going to go first. I'm going to do this. So we sit down. We watch this video, right, as they prepare the shoots and all this. And some of it's death. Some of it's uh, people puking and having fun. And we're all just dead silent. We come out of the room. We're in this circle. The instructor's like, okay, who's going first? Again, 
dead fucking silence, like all this shit we talked, right? But uh, listen, getting up there, I'll never forget sitting down in this little plane. There was a gap in the door like this, and my seatbelt across my legs, the dude that I'm jumping with right there in front of me with his legs where my knees are, and dude, nobody said shit. The pilot, nobody, and I'm nervous as Bro, the most nervous I've ever been, sweating profusely. I'm like, I can't do this. Like, yes, you can. Talking myself in and out of it, watching the ground just disappear and disappear. And finally, the plane, the guy goes, All right, get ready to jump. We're at altitude, right? So the instructor's like, Okay, take seatbelt off, get on your knees, grab the dash. And I looked over at the pilot, and all I see is like, Hee haw. Y'all remember Hee haw? Just that smile with all them teeth. Like, he seen the fear of death in my eyes, and he just shitty and grin on his face. And he straps me in because it was tandem, opens the door, and I'm looking down. I was like, holy fuck, dude. And there's a handle, and you put your foot out and all this shit. But when I dropped out of that plane, man, it was the most freedom I've ever felt in my life. It was just – it was. it's hard to put into words. It really is. It was uh, – I would do it again, 100%. It was the best adrenaline rush you ever had, period. Right. For like 10 seconds, and then you're – it was like I was floating. Uh, yeah, <laughs> literally like you're floating. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I had to cut, you know, like that. Well, probably not even 10 seconds. There's that initial out of the plane until you get up to speed. You have that fall feel, and then it's like, poof, you're just floating. It was, yeah. Yeah, once you, uh, yeah. Amy, yeah, that, that is something we are. When you hit terminal velocity. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's right. But I remember Mike, like, uh, I was like, man, I just didn't want to get puke, right? So the parachute comes open, and, you know, you pull it all straight down, and you literally come to a dead stop almost. It's crazy feeling, too, when you're, 9,000 feet in the air, almost at a dead stop. And then he, he he says, pull down hard on the right one. Next thing I know, we get in this big old spin, right? And I was like, uh-oh. Mouth drooling. I got shit all over the <laughs> side of my face. I'm like, can we stop doing this? He's like, yeah, sure. And then yanks the other side. And we start going around the other side. And I got the shit coming on this side of my face. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to wipe my face off, dude. It's all my goggles and shit. So I take the goggles off. And it was just, uh, yeah, he's laughing. It, yeah, it was uh crazy but landing was crazy because you don't you don't understand like you actually come in pretty quick you know right. and, and then you pull the shoe and flare it out oh man it's uh did you have your feet up they tell you to keep your feet up and let him do let him get yeah on the i had to like put my so you got your butt. chest you kind of came down yeah. your butt that's why i see videos of that they always seem like yeah it'd probably break your legs otherwise i would think yeah so uh jeff chandler said uh but it doesn't have that roller coaster no gut feeling i mean it's it it does but it to me it was different than, than a roller coaster right because you're strapped to a metal machine and you anticipate it you still do when you jump out of a plane but <laughs> it's a different type of stomach drop right mike i mean to me right. it was anyway it's, yeah it's, it's just like well then you have that uh, insta fear you know if uh, you come out and oh shit i'm falling uh, and then, it, like I said, it was like it just came to, like you started floating out, and from that point on, it it was the coolest ride ever. And I guess you have that one little quick moment when you pull, and you're waiting for the suit to pop. Uh, so there's that little drone uh, junkie section too. So is it a pretty good shock when it finally pulls and and uh, gets? Yeah, there? I mean, you're you going go from fast, and you're going from zero to. Boom. Uh, yeah, you're going from about 100, 120 miles an hour to, like you said, almost a stop uh, by the time it gets you 15 miles an hour or something, and then you fall, get back into the chute.
You better yeah. hope that Taurus is uh, in the right spot down there. Listen, th this is one of my fears, Mike and Mark, man. Like, I kept telling the guy the whole time, I'm like, how up to date is this harness? Like, are these buckles really legit? Like, there's no issues with them. That all the all is it sewn just right? Like, I'm he's checking at it. stitches. Yeah, <laughs> I, dude, I do no bullshit. I'm like, I guess if I'm gonna die today, it's beautiful. It's a good day to do it, but I really don't want to. I'm trying to go home, right? So, yeah, I was I was that nervous. I, I'm not gonna lie, it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It yeah, was no, I, me too. But you know, like I said, once once you get away from the plane, it was the coolest ride ever. It was. Yeah, it is. It's 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 hard. Well, it's even hard to compare that to motorcycles. That adrenaline. Yeah, well, motorcycles are far better, as far as I'm concerned. I was just no, saying, me that, too. Yeah, yeah, that, me that, too. Being on the back of a Nate Colonel was giving me some tips. He's like, just get on the bike. Come on, we're gonna go out. Just hop on my bike. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I've never been on the back of a bike ever. Not on a four bike, never been on back. And uh, it's not like we're on a two up ride with Chris, you know, they hold on two hands. No, this is take your hand off and right. put it, you know, switch and go with them each way. And I mean, I physically almost couldn't hang on anymore because he was getting, you know, we we're going up and I did three laps on lightning. Oh, and wow. I was like, after three laps, I was like tapping them. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I can physically hang on. I'm because I'm used to like you're used to being hunched over and, and having that, you know. But being high up, dig your hill and trying and all to, that. yeah, trying to get over, and I just, you know, it was hard trying to get off the back of the bike because I'm sitting up higher. But oh my god, what a ride that was! Well, yeah. people used to make the comment like, you know, riding a road bike compared to even a dirt bike was easy, and I thought, yeah, I rode at pace then, <laughs> because when you're actually hanging outside of that bike and you're working back and forth, especially on tight tracks, it's a lot of work. Your legs well, and your ass. You know, they always sure. say that you see these guys when you're out riding on the streets and they're like, ah, I'm so fast. And I'm like, Yeah, well, the fastest guy in the street is the slowest guy in the track. I've seen guys the track I, day. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. The track day. Yeah. You know, that was my goal is to get a lot of these kids that were doing all this stupid stuff, including, you know, when I was growing up. I'm surprised, you know, I got away with a lot of stuff, but um, trying to get them off into the track, you know, uh, get them off the streets. And I got about four or five there. And, they did about one lap and they come in and they were sweating one lap at yeah. um, summit point. And they came in, they were sweating and I was like, what's wrong? And they're like, uh, Oh man, I'm like dead. You know, I'm like, yeah. Cause you have to put it all together for the whole time. Cause they're like, I'm just so fast. I'm like, well, you can go fast in a straight line for, you know, 10 seconds. Big deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they run out of rotor gas. Yeah. But they're all expert riders. Now they, they got hooked. They got the bug and you know, they, some of the, you know, some of the track day companies I'm I've worked with a lot in the past and still great friends with uh, one out of Vegas, Apex Assassins. They've started a, the taste of the track. So they have, they allow street riders to come out. They don't have to pay the money for the, the whole track day, all that kind of stuff. And at lunchtime, they get some lead follow laps, you know, just so they can kind of see what it's about. Uh, people come out on Harleys and everything else just to see what it's about. And uh, it's caused a lot of more, a lot more people to make that transition to where they want to do track days. They're not afraid of it anymore. You know, that's cause that's a stigma idea to do that like that instead of having to pay. Cause that's, that's why I was here. Oh, I got to do it. Yeah. But you just spent yeah. like, you just spent like $5,000 on some stuff that you, doesn't even matter. Cause you're not even good enough to use it. Right. You know they don't, mean? they have to come out in at least a, you know, like a textile style riding pants and jacket with their helmet and their regular street gear. And, it, it's controlled don't get me wrong but you know you can get out there and you can sell right in Australia a little bit and you can kind of get an idea of it and it it costs them nothing well, that's really oh, that's cool, cool. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. coiner and his track days offered uh 
um, Chris and I to yeah. come on out there and, and ride. And as you can see in the back, take them up on it. I'm oh, well, as you can see, I got the new yeah. KYT right there. Racing. He's good people yeah. anyway. So, oh, oh he's awesome. awesome. Are you kidding yeah, me? We, we did the ghetto chicken wings when we were in Daytona. And he was telling us about these chicken wings, and uh, Chris Rutledge and I were, were there. And he, we went out, and I, I was like, though, I've had chicken wings everywhere, but this absolutely was the best chicken wings ever, ever. So, we may Have be doing it this there, year Mike? at that place he's talking about. Where is this at? It's I, in I heard Daytona, there, Daytona Beach. It's some place in the ghetto there. I forget the name of it. He, he he might if he's on, he might send uh what it's called. But it was really weird because they had like all these cars going back and forth. They had all these huge um speakers and like they had a big like sound off. I mean, I'm talking like concert speakers in the back of these trucks. <laughs> Literally, yeah, I have video of it. It's it's crazy. And uh it was just really cool vibe. But yeah, that, the wings were just amazing. I have to I say, like that. my big focus when I'm in Daytona is uh, oysters. I eat oh. dozens and dozens of oysters. I'm with you there. on that, Mike. I'm with you on that. Are you going to be at Daytona this year? I'm hoping. Uh, I'm really hoping. With this new job I have, though, it's it's going to restrict how much I can actually attend. So, yeah. Are, are you planning on attending like a lot of the MA rounds this year, or just select few? Or uh, select few is what my goal is. I've got some time off and I want to be able to go out and help people out on the weekend. And, you know, like I was saying, I'll be at a lot more of them if my equipment's there. Yeah. Because uh, Alex will be able to handle logistics. I can fly in on weekends and uh, help people out and then get back to my job. Well, I'm trying to make it to Daytona this year. It's it's on the schedule. <clears throat> Me and my dad and my, my son and my wife, we plan on doing that. And, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and then Jersey again, of course, Texas for the MotoGP race. So, we'll just have your dad come up and pick us up i mean you're gonna fly <laughs> there's an airport literally right now right, here. right i wonder how much it would cost us to rent a plane and fly to texas or florida that's a good question you know you i, I, fairly, I, I mean, think about that all the time yeah it's done by i mean it depends on what kind well you and what we do assessment you'd have the well he's a captain so he's twin he's got twin engine certifications and everything yeah but be once you get up in like turbo props it gets pretty expensive that's the one thing about air, airplanes that are pretty expensive. Yeah, but can you get a private jet for five or six thousand dollars for you know like a run from Vegas to uh, maybe maybe ten or fifteen? I would think they're really gotcha. expensive. Jets are super expensive. Though. I mean, I I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I don't know. You'd have to go with like net jets or somebody and see what like a if you got like a a citation, you know, not like a a G five or something, but maybe well, a citation yeah, right. or a Learjet or something. We were talking about the other day because we went to a, a corporate summit for the company I'm working for, and there's about eight of us, and we all flew business. And I was thinking, well, what we paid to fly with this company, we probably could have rented a jet and put us all on that, and not had to go through all the stuff with like security and all that. Yeah, I mean, but, I think it's possible. I, back when I was in charge, um, back in the day, they, it was still pretty expensive. I was actually in charge of the Bally, Bally Corporation. The chairman i was in charge of his uh okay. manager. so um well i was in charge of a lot of people because i, I was actually very popular because i had the key to all the alcohol <laughs> <laughs> so you were the go-to guy yeah, go so ask mark he's got the key like, hey, for a bottle of jack you know, i'll take you <clears> up <throat> tonight you know and uh, i mean i was young i was 18 that's how stupid and the, the instructors are drunk as hell and they're like okay let's go you know, we're like, oh, we're, you know, let's go take off. And I'm like, well, what if I have a problem up there? You know, I mean, this guy's not gonna be able to do anything. Mm -hmm. But 
Or he's going to be laughing as you guys are on the way down crashing. Are you ready oh, to I die? Remember, Turn I remember being up. in the pattern doing <laughs> downwind, and it was getting a little bumpy. And I was thinking to myself, geez, you know, if I if I mess this up, you know, this is my life. This is like, I've kind of taken my life in my own hands because this guy's not, he's like an inebriated pest. Like, you know, he couldn't even do the radios. So, yeah, that's scary. That's yeah, that was the last time I did that because I thought, geez, if I ever do get in trouble, I'm... yeah, screwed. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Mike, uh, Je- Jeff said, uh, we have to get Des up to parachuting when I come up to visit. Yeah. Uh, yeah that'll, that'll be the day. That's, <laughs> that's my brother-in-law trying to get my wife out, jump out of a plane. I don't think that's going to happen, but you never know. Yeah, right. Maybe yeah. if we push her. <laughs> well, if, right? we get, if we get Amy to go, maybe then it'll. There you go. Yeah, there you go. If she has somebody else to go with, Nikki, my wife would never fuck. She'd be like, This is what she'd look at all of us standing in line and say, All you guys are fucking idiots. <laughs> I'm gonna be over <laughs> here. Yeah, well, is she like the lady that's on, on the airplane and look out the window and go, Oh, the wing is moving. I'm like, Huh? The wing is moving. So, Ooh. when me and my wife met, she's never been on a plane. And then when we went to Colorado for my brother's birthday, uh, wedding, sorry, that was the first time she's ever been on a plane. And I can't remember if she sat in the aisle or the window. Um, but we didn't sit together. We ended up having different seats. Uh, but she she said she was nervous about it. She she definitely do it again, right? It's always nervous getting on a plane, for, especially for people that get it real bad anxiety and really scared of heights yeah. and, and not being in control of a of a wheel or or whatever, right? Um, I could see where it could be really nerve wracking. Well, I'll give her more anxiety. Like today, even I, it's not quite the same for me anymore because the pilots definitely are not coming out of the military. Uh, it's more flight management because these planes are so advanced now. I think they're losing the art of actual flying because basically with 600, 800 feet off the ground, they're going to autopilot. Your dad will probably tell you that. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they have auto land. They yeah. they don't take over until about 1,500 feet or 1,000 feet before they land. And so the actual art of actually flying an airplane is like going away. So when things go, when systems go down and they really have to hand fly they're not as skilled as like those military guys that came out of the military and they're all young now now they don't even come out of the military they go to flight international or flight right. safety international or uh, they come out of a, 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 a aviation college you know and, and and you know they go to the regional airline american eagle you know united express and then they yeah. i don't know if they pad log books like they used to do but you know um so what you're saying is there's no Mavericks, Gooses, or Icemans out there no more, right? No, they're all. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they're know, getting older, anyways. Yeah, right? well, the next push coming out, I'm pretty sure you know the next retirees. You're probably going to get a lot of uh, military guys out by that point. You know, well, you're saying that in all trades. To be honest, um, nowadays there's not kids going into plumbing because their dad's in plumbing, or mm-hmm. you know, truck driving, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, those are all foreigners now. There's hardly anywhere. I deal with it every day, especially (laughs) drywall and carpenters. Right. All that that trick, HVAC, all all of that. Yeah. That's a shame because they can make a really good living at it, you know? Yeah. um, I mean, somebody goes in there and applies themselves, it's a six figure job. Yeah, if you, all you but have to do is go and apply yourself. Cool that they have to do computers, they have to do this, you know. And then I'm like, well, you're you're competing against like thousands and thousands of people for that computer job, you know, or um, even nobody's going into medicine either. That's another good one that pays a ton, you know. But mm-hmm. yeah, they all want to be creators or influencers. I hear it all the time. 
I was just we were at the Macy's Day Parade, and this kid from Seattle was in front of us, and his mom and his dad was there. And they asked him what he wanted to do. He's like, I just want to be an influencer. I'm like, well, yeah, so everybody wants to be a movie star or something too. Yeah, but well, how many? Be a million people. Right. The the percentage of people that succeed at it and actually make a, a real living is few and far between. So I ask exactly. people when they say stuff like that, is, so what's going to make you stand out above the next person? That's what you have to figure out if you, that's something you truly want well, to do. I think going crazy and doing crazy stuff, you know, but I'm like, well, you can only go so crazy. Up, yeah. Not ending up in jail or dead. So well, everybody mean, wants to be a boxer until they get punched in the mouth, right? And then they right. don't want to be a boxer no more. They're like, man, fuck this. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to go work at McDonald's or something. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mike, man, what, uh, what, what does 2024 hold? 2024 holds me pushing high and trying to use my resources to get, like I said, my equipment out helping somebody. And uh, if I can do that, I feel like a success on that side. And like I said, I have I have a new uh, business venture going now with a with a corporate company that I have a lot of good opportunity with. And you know, I haven't dedicated myself to somebody else's corporation ever. And it's nice going in there with on the ground level and having room to, a lot of room to grow and a lot of support to do it and, and not having to do all the other back end side of it too that i had to at my own corporation where you're juggling the finances as well and all that you know so i can look at the project from my angle and i can make a bunch of improvements in the project uh, accordingly so it you know it's exciting i'm working for a plumbing company actually well, actually let me scratch i'm looking working for an hvac heating and plumbing company that Oh, they have 35 years in the HVAC business, and this last year they started their plumbing division and put me in charge of it. So nice, nice. Yeah. No, I should know this, but where do you live? I live in Carson City now. Oh, no, Carson okay, City, out there in Nevada. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. I was gonna say, it, and then I'd be like, look like an idiot because I was wrong. I'd be like, well, yeah, I was cause... in Vegas for a long time, and I was in business myself in California for a long time, and I'm originally from Oklahoma, so the racing team is licensed and based out of Oklahoma. For the most where, part. where in Oklahoma are you from? Because I, I was uh, in Oklahoma a lot when I lived in uh, My mom lives up just above Tulsa, and uh -huh. uh, my hometown, my dad lives down in southeast Oklahoma around Ida Bell, Broken Bow area. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Nice. I lived in Dallas wow. for quite quite a few years, then the Dallas Metroplex, and uh, my brother and sister still live there. So I love it back there. It's just uh, even when I was in the motorcycle industry, there's not a lot of lot you can do from there. the biggest advantage is from there is that your central usa so going any track is a little shorter than kind of based mm -hmm. out of california or even nevada yeah. yeah yeah was that the biggest difficulty for you when you had tuned racing was the traveling expense all across america oh yeah man well we've had as much as like 15 crew members that we're trying to put up in rooms so that's five or six hotel rooms that's three four or five rental cars that's the rig going across as well you know, that's the reason why a lot of times when the budgets got thin, and that's what ultimately drove me into driving the truck, is that's money that I can cut out of the budget and I can absorb myself without it uh, negatively impacting my bank account too. It will other than it's taking up time. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. That's that's so that's uh my European buddies over there that race in BSB that they say that's one of the big advantages of, of being out there, right? Because the 
you mean you drive across the uk in like six hours so everything's uh-huh. you know two three four hours away right where here i'm like dude in two hours four hours in texas man shit you just started the journey like you didn't oh, you're go past, nowhere, you're right? like yeah you're yeah. like shit yeah, you got 18 cool. more hours of Texas to go, right? You don't realize how big fucking Texas is until you drive to Everybody it. always tell ask me, why don't you drive the 10? Because I don't want to be in Texas that long. Yeah. The 40, it's 179 miles, and I'm in Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, I like Texas a lot, don't get me wrong, but the 10 is so boringly long that. Yeah, I, I didn't go that way either. I went right to Oklahoma City. Yeah, right, not, 40. not this guy. I was like, we're going through Texas, and I was like, yeah, this was probably a mistake. Yeah, it was. Uh, not that if it popped the bottom, because back in the day when I worked for right. American, my girlfriend lived in uh, Port Lavaca, which is just also Corpus Christi. So wow. normally you'd fly down there, but every now and then, since we live in Dallas, we just go down and oh man, I, probably about twelve hours, maybe ten, ten and a half. It was nuts. Yeah, that's crazy. So, Mike, out of all the bikes you've raced, which is your favorite bike you've raced? I mean, Yamaha R6 is pretty much untouched when it comes to the data that's been collected off of it and how well they perform with very little uh, done to them in their stock form. You put good suspension on them and give it a good flash, and you can get good horsepower. Or a club racer, you can't really beat that platform. There's other bikes that are getting better now. The, the Kawasaki is getting a lot better. Uh, all right, in the recent years, models, anyways, uh, Chuck's done a lot to develop that bike. So, but the, the Yamaha R6 by far is my favorite. I've ridden a lot of thousands. Honda with I was a Honda guy for the longest time, but uh, it costs too too damn much to go HRC on everything to even get the bike somewhat club race competitive. So, yeah. and try to go national with that. It's just not enough support. And Yamaha dedicated. You know, they they supported the racing for a good chunk of time there, especially when I was coming out strong. They're about the only big factory. Them and Suzuki, we still had Yoshimura at the time. Uh, when I came out with my national team in 2012, you know, those were the those were the big guys. Uh, then you had M4 right right underneath them, which they're pretty much factory as well. So, you know, they, and they've all dedicated a lot to our industry uh, to keep it alive through the slow times. And it looks like Moto America is actually starting to dig themselves up and do something good. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, especially the baggers. Yeah, but, I mean, they're, they're bringing a lot of people. That bagger class is, you know, they, they took, when they first talked about it, I I didn't know or think that they'd go to the extreme that they have that bike in development. But uh, you got to give it to Harley Davidson and Indian both. They both dropped some coin. And oh, man, yeah. those are some real race bikes now. They're going as fast as the twins. I mean, that's no, that's, that's crazy. Nuts. It's yeah. crazy. It is. You see, go around Daytona was crazy. They were going almost as fast as the, the six hundreds were. I they mean, were like what one eighty, one ninety on the straights. Yeah, the transition in the corkscrew at Laguna could when you're coming off the top of that and that whole bike lifts and just uh, and then reloads. Oh my god, my butt puckered every time those bikes squatted into the bottom of the corkscrew. Yeah, yeah, I was waiting uh, for the front just to go shoo, as right. soon as it started the bottom. He was like, oh, no, is he going to do it? Yes, he did it. How the fuck did he but do that? Yeah. I've been going to Laguna since 2003, uh, watching Rossi pass through the dirt on the inside and, uh, on Stoner. I mean, all that stuff. That was all good stuff. So I was there when Nikki brought it home. Uh, so, yeah. 
That's, That's awesome. one track I've never been to. I would love to go to. But I went in 05 when MotoGP first came back when Yamaha put all yep. that $2 million or whatever it is. Uh, they took the wheelie bump out of, out of the top up there before the corkscrew. Yep. Uh, when they when they came back because Rossi said he didn't want that sucker there anymore. Or, you know, I guess a few people complained. Yeah. But there's still that little roller right before you turn into the corkscrew. There used to be a wheelie bump before that back closer to the bridge. So you'd hit that and the bike would lift and then you set it down and then you hit that and then turn it. <laughs> so it was, used to launch a lot of cars off in the course route too. So what's one of your most favorite memories of when you raced? Like, Oh my gosh. Like, is it a certain race? No, a- not really. I mean, it, it's all the camaraderie. Yeah. The trophies are, you forget about them almost, you know, you see it on the yeah. shelf. You're like, yeah, okay, cool. But all the people I've met, that's biggest best memories i can say um joining the the family and feeling so welcome and going to bike events you know even years after i hadn't been riding and running to people i mean this shirt i sat and talked to earl and uh homestead i was down there in 2012 11 or 12 and uh walked up he was sitting in his booth and i sat down and talked with him and it was the coolest time of my life to sit there and listen to that guy talk man uh so much respect for the whole family Yes. But yeah, it's yeah, that's one of the coolest memories I can remember as well. And I've never been a starstruck person, but when you see somebody that isn't looking to be a star and they've been influenced the country more than most other individual persons ever had, and not even by throwing his own leg over the seat, but by his offspring, mm-hmm. you know, he had three dedicated kids that were they were fucking talents, man. Yeah, yeah, uh, and still are. Well, and they're right. raised right. You know, I mean, you see how they are. I mean, they're just, right. uh, I mean, Roger always, uh, uh, and congratulations to him on his wedding. Yeah. Um, he, he found a really good one. Um, but he would tease us. You know, we would give him a wrath of shit back in the day. Just, it was all for good fun. But I think he thought, now he tells us back then, he thought it was kind of serious. You know, we were really razzing him about the Suzuki and the Suzuki suck stuff. And, you know, we just have a good time. And, uh, right. He got up on the podium one time. And he said something uh, out to us, I guess, and it was on TV. And his, his, his mom called him later and go said to him something about, uh, you know, what are you saying on TV to, to those people? You know, but, <laughs> she better not talk like that, Roger. I'm gonna but kick your ass. Yeah, yeah, right. But uh, he laughs when he tells us that. And uh, but um, yeah, now he knows it was all in good fun. But uh, all right. Well, racers yeah. they get they get a little heated and temperamental and stuff too, you know. Especially in the heat of coming off a race and being right there and not quite grabbing it, and then somebody pokes the bear a little bit, they're yeah. gonna get aggravated. Of course, it happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. all the. the, you, the... you guys are super fans, anyway. So if you can poke the bear of anything, you, you guys will be able to. I tell you. Yeah. It yeah, but it's all good. Fun. Fun. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that oh yeah, for sure. Point of what we no, I, just trying to yeah. That, like you said, same thing, you know, about getting the camaraderie and uh, that that's what we loved about it, you know, and just bringing more people in so it would continue. Because we were a little worried about Motor America there, you know, after a few years there. Um, but now they seem like they're finally uh, starting to grow there. Yes. So. Yeah, it did look sad there there for a little while. What we, we, we have, like six races that one season or a couple of seasons? It was uh... – GMG, yeah, it was. Uh, well, it started being the same problem was the Maladin years. Is why when you know why are you gonna pay money when you know who's gonna win the race before you go? Like people just you know 
it's kind of like going to a baseball game knowing that, you know, or or NASCAR knowing that back in the day Gordon was going to win. A Tyson win fight. Yeah. <laughs> a Tyson gonna, fight. Right? Gonna, right? Right? For 15 seconds until he knocks the guy out. Right. Yeah. yeah. But now they have other then you know, they, the, the other um, classes are coming up and fun to watch, you know, and so that makes it, you know, it's not just Superbike anymore. You know, people yeah. really want to watch twins, you know, because they're banging in each other. and uh, Junior Cup. Yeah. The junior Cups. And, you know, that, now the, the twins is really, if you do break down that bike, it's a builder's class. And there's a lot of money being spent on that motorcycles. When you take a bike that's normally putting out 40, 50 horsepower and you're squeezing 100, 102 out of it. Uh, things are built to the hilt on them, and those bikes are a lot more than what meets the eye. I can tell you. Yeah, it's it's you know. So when they first started that class, it was supposed to be an entry level, you know, low cost budget racing. Now it turned into this full, almost yeah. like the Formula Extreme class. Exactly. Yep. They can do pretty much anything they want within certain guidelines, yep. and they that allows a lot. I mean, they're doing. Like I said, they're doubling the power. So anytime you take a, a motorcycle and you double its horsepower output, you're you're doing a significant amount of things that the factory did not uh, plan on. Right. Oh, yeah, well, you got guys that aren't ever going to get the super bike, but they could be a champion still. You know, I mean that's their goal. You know, and this is a class that they can be a champion, and you know, so. No, it it, it makes sense, but I just feel like too in our sport that if they actually had a a. a uh, classes that wasn't so expensive where people could actually get in and race, I think it would help. Uh, we do, though. That's out. club racing. Yeah. Well, I, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're and right. we, But we don't need that at the national level because all it does is devalue it. We need yeah. we need the guys that work their way through club racing and get to that class so that, um, one, they provide quality entertainment. Right. Uh, being a big part of it. And two, you know, I feel like in the national level, you have to earn it a little bit. You have to put in not only the time fast behind the fucking bars, pardon my French, but yeah, uh, making your pits look good and uh, not showing up with uh, scattered. It was the world's worst when I'm spending two hours time to set up a rig and have everything in its place. And then they throw a little treader behind me and those guys got shit scattered everywhere. And it looks like yeah. hell. Yeah. Um, it devalues the real estate, if you will. And I don't want to oh, talk bad about it. I, I want no. all the, I want every club racer to make it through that. But at the same time, you've got to learn certain things to get through. You don't just get hired out as a VP of a corporate company until you know how to walk the walk. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what a hundred percent. Yeah. Me too. That's, uh, that's a thing that I kind of see a little bit wrong with, with kind of like moto three and moto two. Now it's like, you see these riders jumping up classes. I feel like Pedro said it, dude, I'm not going to moto GP till I win this championship. That's my, right. that's my golden ticket to get into that. Right. Nobody deserves to get there because they're the, the best, the elite of the elite. Right. Right. Um, who wants so, to, who wants to move up just to be a filler? Who wants right? to see that be a grid filler? That's the mentality of today. Where our generation came up as, you know, you got to put in the work. You've got to get there. Right. You know, we didn't come from participation trophies. Yeah. You know, now everyone thinks just because they show up, they're supposed to be there. They don't have to earn it. They just have to, you know, hey, I'm here. Yeah, so I, I, up, I, I get a check. Be there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. And, and that's the problem. It's just not just racing, but it's really anything in life anymore. With, with right. Young kids. I mean, I, you know, I see it everywhere. They, they show up for work and they're like, well, I showed up for work. Well, you still got to work. Yeah. So, um, but my grandpa told me something that I rode with me pretty tight, and he said, It doesn't matter whether you're doing brain surgery or sweeping floors, the quality of work you do is a reflection of you yourself. You know, like if you're sweeping the floor steady, you're being a shitty person right now, basically. 
uh, and, and you need to shave up. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's no, that sounds like someone would say that from Oklahoma for sure. <laughs> but that, that's just how it is. I mean, you know, but that's it. It doesn't matter what you do. If you do it poorly, then it just reflects on who you are. And it doesn't matter if you become a VP you're gonna, or a president of something, you're going to be crappy because you just, you don't have the um, wherewithal or even a racer. You can be lazy and you're not going to push and you're going to be dangerous. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You got to want it. You really do, right? You really got to want it to do it. That's what separates uh, the elite from us mere mortals. I mean, just to be honest, right? Well, and then even for more so, uh, it separates society, really. I mean, there's people that want it and there's people that want it given. And uh, different societies handle those people different ways. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. So, how do you feel about Marquez going to Ducati, Mike? I, I think it's good to see him get off a of Honda. Me too. Uh, you know, everybody have, always talks a lot of crap, this, that, and the other. But remember when Rossi switched from the Honda over to Yamaha? Uh, and then he turned around and made Yamaha work. That's true testament to him as a writer and a, a development writer as well. So, yep. you know, I have mixed feelings about Mark just because, you know, all the shit he's gotten himself into. Uh, but he is a talented writer. And sometimes you got to. Uh, step back and readjust and maybe this uh, Ducati rides just that for him. Yeah, I think that, uh, so I said this, I think it might've been yesterday that, you know, Ducati put themselves in a predicament this year, especially with Jorge Martin, because they didn't want the factory team didn't want Jorge to win the title. Cause then they'd have to do a, a bike swap. Cause they don't want a number one plate on a satellite bike. Right. It, even though we all know it's a factory bike, but it's not factory colors. Right. Right. Uh, so I'm thinking to myself after, cause I had a feeling Mark was going to leave. Right. But part of me was like, he ain't going to fucking leave. There's no way, but he did. Right. And I was like, if Mark leaves, he gets on this Ducati and he is like the old Mark. Right. They put themselves in a worse predicament because now you got Mark Marquez on a Ducati Pecos. I mean, dude, everybody's in trouble. Right. So if Mark wins his title, it's the same scenario as this year. It'll be it. Will they put him on the factory bike and move an A out? Right. I mean, it's there's a lot going on to that, but it's going to be an interesting year. Uh, Luca to Honda HRC, right? So he's following the footsteps yeah. of his of his brother. But I think it's an important move. A lot of people, a lot of my friends disagreed with me, Mike and Mark, about no, Luca needs to stay, dude. That's his brother's team. He'll always get paid, have a good paycheck. This and that. I was like, dude, listen, if. I, I love Rossi and, and Luca too, but if they, if Luca wants to separate himself from that shadow of Rossi, he needs to do this. I think it's, right. it was the best thing for him to do, a hundred percent, which is exciting to see. Um, it's going to be a good year, right? Uh, yeah, and I'm pretty stoked about it. Yeah, me too, man. It's going to be, dude. So many. Faces change and teams. It's going to be, yeah, same thing with World Superbike, right? So yeah, top rack top on the right, BMW, yeah. right? Uh, that's going to be a really Jonathan good on the uh, Yamaha. on the Yamaha now. Yep, and Axel uh, Basani on on the Kawasaki. You know, it's going to mm -hmm. be. Yeah, man, it's good. It's then, good to change that stuff up too. It's good for the sport. I, I'm also glad to see Pirelli in Moto Two and Moto Three instead of Dunlop. I'm glad they actually changed a, a manufacturer tire brand i think it just brings a different uh how do i want to say it, dynamic 
to the teams to where now you you know you got all this data setting up a bike with Dunlops right so Mike knows this you know Mark Mark too that uh, you swap tire brands on a bike your suspension changes because one tire is taller than the other tire even though they're both one twenty seventies one's a taller profile right so now the geometry of your bike's gonna change you got to reset the suspension up yada 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 yeah tire pressures everything yep. footprint changes up yep the way it feels but- in the corner and all that yep. You know, I'm a Dunlop rider and I love Dunlop tires, but at the same time, I'm with you. I like seeing a different manufacturer pop in there. Honestly, I believe that it'd make road racing cheaper to the competitor if mm-hmm. we had that competition in the paddock again. Our largest expense or one of the largest expenses for the weekend is tires. I mean, a super sport rider is going through $3,600 in tires a weekend. Yeah, yeah, so imagine running four of them bikes. Uh, if we had... When we go club racing, it's much cheaper because club racing, Dunlop would oh, I help you out with tires. Pirelli will help you out with tires. Michelin, whoever it may be, they're helping you out with tires. Uh, so it, it's just not as profitable for the corporate, for the, the tire companies. I get that. But who, the tire companies aren't putting on the show. We are. And if the people can afford to put on a better show, uh, you know, Moto America is going to grow faster. Yeah, that's, you know, yeah. it's funny because you're so right. And it blows my mind. Like, I, I this is all about the dollar bill and anything in life is about the dollar bill. But sometimes they don't think that way. And you hire these yahoos that come in with all these um, degrees and they think they're going to rewrite it. And um, they just don't listen, you know. And so they could make a lot more money, like what you're saying. Yeah. They could, but you know, they somehow they get it in their heads that they're going to make more money doing it the other way because the tires more expensive and they have to sell sell less. It's kind of like the McDonald's deal where they sold it cheaper but a lot more and they made a lot more money. But well, that was the thing when Motor America first took over, they started trying to bring that European, excuse me, that European mentality with them, and you know, Europeans really love motorcycles more so than most Americans do, right. and it, that whole idea doesn't work. We're a reality TV, and I used to preach to them, you know, until you start making uh, the pit conversations and arguments and all this other kind of stuff and start making it like a reality TV show, you're not going to get grandma watching it, trying to find out who's doing this to that next week, uh, which is what we need. That's why you get grandma watching it. Now the new kids and staying with grandma are watching it, and, you know, our sport grows outside of all the people that already watched it, which are us that love it. Right, you know, right. anybody that rides a motorcycle on the weekend more than likely is going to be watching racing this weekend as well. But none of their family members are unless they're stuck in a room with him. We need grandma and uh, the uncle wondering uh, how JD is going to beat uh, whoever next week. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, no, no, that's, yeah. that's how they point. follow us because they want to see that conflict. They want to see uh, Josh uh, Heron pissing somebody off on the weekend because and getting a fine because that makes them want to watch him do it more. Yeah. You know, oh, there's. Uh-huh. 100%, 100%. Those kind of things are, you know, are what draws people in. We we were at Barbara, and you know, they just announced a hundred fifty dollar fine and stuff that year about the burnouts. And Braden said, "Hey, you know, uh, if I get on the box, can I do a burnout?" I said, "You get on the box, it'll be the best hundred fifty dollars we spent all year." And sure as hell, I think he got a third in that race. And uh, turn five, he he did good. He got off the racing line, got off to the side of the asphalt but he boiled the hell out of that tire man spoke the whole turn five section out it was amazing yeah it was that was the best 150 bucks we spent that year 
Yeah. 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 I think that, uh, and also I think everybody's too nice, right? Like we need to see rivalries. Like I don't care. You're not going to win today. Cause like the Petrucci thing with the elbow. Right. Dude. Yeah. All of, yeah, yeah. Dude. We need when he was right, when he rode by and flipped off, he created some of the best followers around because, you know, yeah. there's the people that were with him and then there's the people that hated him because of it. And, you know, sometimes bad press is good press and we just, just well, there's never watching. bad press. That, that's right. it. There you go. You never yeah. get bad press. No. Uh, and the thing with the United States, uh, so unlike Europe, they're not dealing with NFL, NBA, NHL, uh, <laughs> uh, MLB. You know, NFL right there. I mean, um, and that's the trick is, well, how's more America get around that? And I said, I, I said something about, you know, why don't we go after car people too? I mean, they're motorsports people. You know, uh, most car people that come see a bike race are a little shocked that's not what they thought you know they're like wow these things really move you know i mean when you're turn one in jersey and they're coming over the hump there backing it in it's pretty impressive yeah it is what i like is when the car guys go what are you doing there you race in the rain yeah <laughs> oh yeah i love that too you guys ride in the rain like yeah dude we got rain tires. i think we had you a car guy that was in jersey and the baggers were coming over into turn one and started backing in, and they were like flabbergasted. This big bike is coming at the speed it was coming at in the rain, and right. uh, that's what I think they need to target. You're going to get the bike guys; they're they're all kind of automatic because it's it, it's just a it's once you love it and you get bit by it, you're going to follow it. But right. you know, really it's a hook. Hard, I mean, you literally, it's like going fishing. Yeah. You get you get it set just in that lip just right, and there's no quitting it at that point. Nope, you're getting rolled all the way in. Yep, we're like, yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. And, and that's the thing, Ford. getting it out to those people, NHRA, you know, the dirt track guys, like uh, Pennsylvania is huge dirt track sprint cars. You know, every time I go, I'm always like got Motor America stuff on them, like telling people, hey, you know, you need to go to Jersey or, you know, um, but I mean, that's we just need to get more of those people in there, and I think they'll get <laughs> Well, you talk about it raining in Jersey, man. Boy, I've got some stories for there. One year, we they had to set up the rig just on, I guess it'd be the east side of that the center garages, mm -hmm. and but our hop or our pit was in the grass, and it started raining. We were walking, our flooring was six inches underwater. We we're walking around in this stuff. That's the reason why we ended up moving over to the other side of the building on the concrete where I was all these last few years, mm -hmm. and had because I complained pretty heavily. I've all. The whole team's feet were waterlogged. It was horrible that that one year. Uh, but how about when we I had two a, races there? One was in April, and the other one was you know in September. Yeah, in April this, we it would like be almost snowing. It was like snow flurries, and Bobby won that race. I was like, we all had to go get gloves, and like you know, we were all bundled up. And I was like, how is he on that bike? And it's it's misting down, and I'm like, and it's like little flurries coming down. It was that cold. Right. It was crazy. Yeah. And yeah. And I've got a picture of come. Bryce Prince sliding through the water with creating waves coming off both sides. And he's reaching back at the bike like this on oh, the bike slide behind him, cutting waves. And if you look real close, uh, one hand was kind of off the bike like this, but his glove was still wrapped around the handlebar. And so he's gloveless with this hand, uh, just getting through the water is the gnarliest picture. Yeah. That's crazy. I know we talked before the podcaster about, uh, Brayden Ort. And um, when you were when he's with you, I remember um, we see his dad and him in the stores, and he was always so friendly and a little guy. And then all of a sudden, I see him. I don't know about a year and a half ago. I'm like, this guy looks like he bulked up on steroids. 
Yeah, I'm, well, I see him doing like 500 pound deadlifts and stuff. I'm like, damn, kid. But so he decided to get out of racing. Did you? What was the story with that? Because I, when he's racing, and all of a sudden, next thing I know, he's out and he's, you know, he's you know, really heavy into it. And it, it, you know, you start getting thinking about where you want to be in the future and uh, it, what you truly want to be doing overall. You know, motorcycles are a huge passion of Braden's and a lot of people's. But he also wanted to be successful and a professional and something else professional. And he was looking at plastic surgery and he had a bad crash. And, you know, I've, I've, I've got a crooked finger myself and he ground a good chunk of his hand. And uh, his mom told him, he said, just go him to evaluate. She don't. That's a good thing about his family. They gave him good advice and it's an amazing family. I love the family, uh, but she didn't tell him no. She just made him think about it. And Red's a smart dude. You know, back then he was a smart kid. Now he's a smart, smart guy. So uh, he's pushing forward and it allowed him to start working out. He didn't have to worry about his weight uh, when you're not riding yeah. motorcycles and trying yeah. to be a pro at that. So he, he packed it on. That's for sure. I was like, I guess he found out girls liked it when he was big and bulky. <laughs> so, right. Uh, you know, being in college uh, and whatnot, you got to, uh, you're going to, you're going to do what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, round is a shape. They, yeah. they keep saying you're out of shape because right. you're round. I'm like, round is a shape. What, what's the you go to? Hey, ladies are all about the dad bods these days. That's my wife. Yeah. <laughs> thank, God, thank God Amy likes dad bods. Yeah. yeah. Except for uh, uh, Jason Momoa, whatever his name is, dude. My wife's always talking about him. Oh, I love him. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but you love yeah. me, and I'm a little round, right? So, yeah. yeah. Right. That's All awesome. shapes and sizes. <laughs> right? Right, so my grandpa used to say that when you get older, it drops from your chest to your drawers. Yeah, yeah, it does too. Yeah, uh, but this is my dad said. <laughs> I, I bit my tongue on that one because there's all kinds of things that roll along with that. I, I, listen, I was getting ready to go to one. My my, my dad was hey, like, it's you a know, podcast, you know what I'm yeah, it's, it right. don't matter. Like my dad go. said one day your wife flashes you like this, right? He said after a couple of years, your wife's gonna flash you like this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she has to lift uh, up her skirt to flirt. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah, right? I see the devil down there at the bottom now. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> when That's it's looking stuff. to see if your shoes are untied. Right, right. <laughs> That's just yeah. my third eye. Everybody's got a third eye, right? But I got four. Yeah, it's it's good stuff, man. I got my little guy here with me. He's watching the show. Oh, oh look at him. So cute. What's his name? Ernest. Ernest Hemingway. Oh, Ernest look at you. Thank you. He's my no. wife's little guy, but what since I lost of, my pup a few weeks ago, he'd been... Uh, lonely and hanging out with me a lot. So. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't tell you guys. You guys know Junior, my my big boy that was with me at all the races and all that stuff. Yeah. I lost him a few weeks ago due to old age and oh. some cancer. So, yeah, it was a tough, tough little time. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was such a positive influence and impression on so many people. You know, I I just I'm very fortunate to look back and realize how much my dogs helped pull me through and kept me where I could focus on racing. I couldn't focus on women enough when I'm racing and had dogs to take care of. So yeah. we, we kept pushing through it all, you know? Yep, yeah. They do do that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Dogs are amazing. I got, I, I've been down that road. Yeah. Yeah. Two Labradoodles and the one passed away about a year, year yeah. ago. So oh, 
it's but rough, the love man. for animals, it, it is, man. It's it's one of the roughest things you ever go through, right? Uh, but then, you know, because I was like, oh, I'm going to get another dog. I'm just not sure when. And then I guess when you're ready for it, you got to get another one. And it starts all over again, right? You fall right back in love. They're your side companion. They go everywhere you go. So excited to see. It's just like, uh, what was the saying? So put your dog in the trunk and open up after two hours. See how happy he is to see you. Then do that with your wife and see how happy she is to see you after the two hours. Right? <laughs> it's not going to end too well on, on the wife no, part, no. right? So. Yeah, that's, that's a good analogy, though. I like that one. Yeah. yeah uh, I, one of my mentors, or you know, a good friend of mine, uh, his name is Donnie Graves. And when I lost Junior's dad, actually, back in 2015, I was in Pennsylvania when it happened. And it was a really rough one on me. And, uh, you know, he, he made a suggestion to me to, once my pups are gone, that, you know, until I'm ready to have my own again, that I really should dedicate some time in some of these rescues and whatnot. And uh, there's a lot of, a lot of, rescues out there that could use some help even in just getting attention uh you know and getting some people in there to help support them and there's a lot of good pups out there that could use some help so i'm hoping that maybe i can put a little effort into that over this next year or so yes yeah, i'm not ready to have another one again i got my little earnest here and yeah. outside yeah. of that uh, i'd just like it to help some of them find some good for our homes yeah, it takes yeah. Some time. that's what i did it's hard because you get it really i mean it's like an attachment like nothing else and then you know i mean they're yeah. always happy to see you. They're, they're, you know, and they depend on you for everything. Yeah. You know what? One thing that put it in perspective for me is, you know, you've heard of their life cycle, or, you know, it's seven to one as far as dog years and whatnot. But put that down in the minutes and hours. So when you leave for an hour, they feel like you've been gone seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you've been gone for an eight hour a day, they feel like you've been gone for eight, eight hour days. You know what I mean? So that's why they're so excited to see us. And uh, we have all this other life outside of them, but, they're stuck at home waiting for us to get back, man. We're, we're their life. Yeah. And it's, I, I just, I'm really close to my pups and it's, I've been very fortunate to have some really good ones. So. Yeah, me too. I would love, so I'm a sucker for animals. I love, like if I hit the lotto, I had, you know, millions of dollars, dude, I would go down to every kennel in my town and get <laughs> every dog, bring them to my house and just let them run and feed them and love every single one of them. I'm a, uh, I got the Jurassic Park of pups. Right. The Jurassic <laughs> Park. Old dogs. I don't care if they're old and they get ready to die, man. I will love them, feed them ice cream, bacon, whatever they want, just but just to make them happy, right? Right. It's it's uh that's the type of person I am, man. I it would uh I would love to be able to do that. Um unfortunately I can't, but uh I, I, I do go to dog kennels. I don't buy dogs, I, I get them for free. and I go down there and I let them pick me. I don't pick them. Right. I right. might be like, oh, I really want a Rottweiler. Right. But I might end up with a Shih Tzu. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just, yeah. Right. I just let them pick me because uh, I feel like if it's meant to be, it'll be that way instead of going out, spending $3,500 on a freaking dog and dude, all a this designer stuff. dog. Yeah. Well, that's right. why it must be so cool because they, you know, in, in, in the paddock there, they have uh, water and treats and their little bandanas for the, the yeah. dogs. And I was, I was so cool. Um, you know, yeah. You look after that out for them too. Well, that's yeah. one good thing about Junior. I take him to the racetrack. You know, he always went to Laguna and Sonoma with me, those areas, because it's close to home, it's easy for us. And uh, I never had to use a leash on him. I'd put up, put the flooring down, put the tent up, and just tell him to stay on the flooring. And that dude would just stay in there. He'd wait for us to get back. And he's always there. But uh, he's a good guy. Uh, yeah. It's like um, Dara Lar, his, his dog, Sky. You know, she. She's an old lady now, but she just lays around, you know, 
non-leash it goes up to everybody you know sits in the you know in the food tent and uh, yeah so well behaved but she travels everywhere she gets this she can see everything yeah that's really my, cool. that's the problem with my team though uh, compared to some of these that a lot of the guys they drive their motorhomes back and forth every event well made a cut budget i could cut ten thousand miles out of my budget by driving to the next round parking and prepping there uh, and then flying home and the whole fly home is what limited junior's ability to make all those events with me yeah yeah, yeah so uh d- tracks would let you in like weeks in advance and oh yeah yeah. Some tracks charge you, like Wisconsin, it costs us $250 to store there for a couple of weeks, um, you know, up to a month. And uh, some tracks are free. Jersey is great because uh, you can pay like 250 bucks a month storage fee there and just and that be that. Hmm. Uh, some tracks charge you per day no matter what. Some tracks don't charge you at all. Pittsburgh's great. It's $20 a month there. That's awesome. Yeah, right? but now yeah. we don't go there anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but we are going back to Mid Ohio, which is good. Yeah, Mid Ohio is a fun track. Yeah, yeah. And what's that new one that they're building in? Was it in Tennessee? Mm-hmm. I haven't heard about I, that. I never heard about that. Yeah, they're building a new racetrack. I, I'm pretty sure it's in Tennessee. I, I'll send you guys the article. They're they're building okay. supposedly building a, a brand new uh, racetrack. So and then they're they're actually trying to get since the American team took over. Uh, damn, what's the name of that American team that just uh, took over R and F Aprilia MotoGP trackside, uh, trackhouse, trackhouse. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, they said that they want two rounds of uh, MotoGP in in America. Um, but we only got one track that can host a MotoGP race, right? Which is Texas. Um, do you think any other tracks around here might could hold a MotoGP event as far as gr- garage facilities and? Are you you talking about on the East Coast or West Coast? Anywhere in the United States. Laguna, with very little modification, can. It has for multiple years. For, I mean, the problem is is them coming to a decision on who gets what money. And, you know, I think there's a lot of politics that come into play with that. Laguna could easily do it. There's without a doubt. Is there rumors that, like, people that live out there don't want that track there anymore? I thought someone well, said something to me that that um sorry that, better for better lack of words, but there's idiots that live everywhere, and some of these idiots live on Laguna Seca Way and bitch about the racetrack. So okay, that's right. Uh, if you're gonna, I don't have any sympathy for them. You, yeah. Well, before you move anywhere, you should be surveying the area and not expect the area to adapt to you. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, hey, I'd be happy I if I get a house on Laguna Seca Way. You know what's that? You know what that property is probably worth. Right. Well, I've seen it happen though, and I've seen tracks get shut down in Bakersfield, California. They had Mesa Marin Raceway. It was a, a circle track, NASCAR track, asphalt. Uh, people literally living on Mesa Marin Way bitched and complained about it. The track had to shut down and move all the way across town and spend ten million dollars or something to even get the doors rolling again. And uh, overall, it came down to people moving in within the vicinity of it and bitching about the noise. You know, that's what we go back to aviation. That's what happened at O'Hare. So yeah. O'Hare had a lot of northeast, uh, uh, different angled runways, and people that had homes that knew they bought it in the flight path decided to complain. So they reconfigured the runways at O'Hare. So now they come in more from the east to the west. So they come on over Lake Michigan, over the city and land, 
and uh from the south to the north more it's not you know they, they pretty much did like everything else crisscrossed it yeah that's, and you know that's the problem is that we cater to a few uh, not to the masses the, just to the, the one per, the one percenters yeah. right right yeah. Yeah. we're catering for that small percentage of society rather than what's better for the but they allow them the, to have the biggest mouth which i don't get yeah don't it's get like that. why do they have the biggest platform you know like uh, because we don't laugh them into out of existence if they came out of us and we actually started laughing and patting our bellies and going man you must be a special kind of stupid <laughs> uh then they turn around and march back to their house with their tail between their legs but we don't because we have somebody in this part of society going, oh, you poor thing. Yeah. Well, I can't believe that. It's just not right in our society. We should not have to deal with that kind of thing. That's right. Even you're though it's the 2% mean, that actually bought that. underneath yeah. the run or, you know, the flight path. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, Chicago here is one of my least favorite airports to go to. I just, man, I just don't like Chicago. It's, yeah, it's a. Uh, in doubt, well, I mean, yeah, DFW is probably worse if you land dosed. all the way in uh, Grapevine and then you got to take three hours of taxi to the gate. Yeah, I, mean, I, I have to agree. The old Dallas I like better when it was a horseshoe. Yeah, yes, yeah. and that's when I worked there back in the 90s when we had just right. uh, the two terminals for American and you had the 1D terminal for Delta. It was so, great. I was a kid traveling through there and you'd be walking through it and walk past the chapel. They actually had a wedding chapel in. DFW. Mm -hmm. I watched somebody get married there one year. Nice. It was awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep, well, that's it was like a mini Vegas, but at the airport. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, you want to go to the airport and get married, honey? Yeah, why not? Let's <laughs> go, right? Well, and we catch a flight out. out. Yeah. Right. Maybe met on the yeah, we'll go on our honeymoon. That's that's, that's the proper thing brilliant. to do, anyways. Yeah. Spend that money on the honeymoon. Man, that's a good idea, man. I don't see why airports don't do more stuff like that because that's actually that's that's actually a pretty good idea. Get married at the airport. I mean, on a plane. I'll get you Elvis deal. costume. You could do it at the airport with Elvis. So that's what I'm saying, dude. What, what dude? Like package deal, marriage, three thousand dollars, thirty five hundred dollars. So we could do like pin the gas uh, chap chapel. Yeah, yeah, we, gas, there, chapel, like, yeah, we know, get you. Yeah, yeah, we, we have two different costumes. You get different uh, that, that, that you guys rider suits. On. You know, if yeah, you want yeah. a rider for the day. <laughs> that would be, yeah. Hey, that that'd be awesome, man. It would be. Uh, and my microphone's so sensitive. If I barely like touch it, it, it cuts off. But uh, get away from motorcycles, man. Do, do you do you read books at all? Do, are you a reader? Or? Uh, well, I'm not one of those that I sit down three days a week and try to knock out a novel. But I do a lot of self education books, books like E Myth Revisited, things that make you think about. I don't know how you're thinking about business or life. You know, that book helped redesign the way I thought about life rather than uh, about what it actually talks about. I mean, you're talking about um, franchising businesses, even if you don't plan on franchising them, but more so to create uh, the way of life that you want, you project rather than a business that buries you in it. And, you know, anybody like me and myself that started a business based off of passion and motorcycles and love is not. Uh, ends up going through a lot of growing pains and issues that, that this book talks about and allows you to rethink how you need to go about it uh, to make it produce the way of life that you want to be able to keep chasing motorcycles or keep chasing what you love in life. You know, yeah. uh, we, we go to work to produce a dollar to provide life, not to provide, uh, not to provide a way that we have to just be buried in work at work. We live to work. 
or we don't want to live to work. We want to work to live. We want to work to live. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Any, any passion design business, it's real hard, real easy to get trapped into uh, living to work situation. Well, so. Plus the American way is, you know, you're, you're considered success here. If you have a huge bank account, like you get a CEO uh, and uh, a lot of people don't know, but I was a fireman for about seven years and uh, we had a CEO in the back of the emails having a heart attack. And uh, he said, you know, I'm a success because I got lots of money. I've got three houses. Uh, and it was a pretty big corporation. And uh, here's this guy is by himself in the back of the ambulance, tearing up. And he told us, he said, that makes me a success, but I don't. My wife's probably cheating on me. Don't really know her that well. My kids, I don't even know my kids, you know, but I provide for them. You know, they get everything they want. And but in here, I'm considered a success. He said, I'm a failure because it, what, what's my money doing now? I'm laying on the gurney. What's it going to do for me? Who's yep. here with me? Nobody. Rich so, man and poor man die the same. Yep. Facts. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it really does, you know, um, we just, we, um, it seems like in the United States, because we have to take care of everybody else, not to get political, but, you know, we live, a lot of people live to work instead of work to be able to live. I mean, you know. Right. So, um, but yeah, it's, you know, I know what you're saying there. Yeah. yeah. So what, so, it's easy to get wrapped up in it. Yeah. What, what, uh, what movies do you like? Like when you're when you're just more oh, relaxed, you know all all action movies. I don't watch a lot of TV to be honest. Yeah, I spend a lot of time on computers doing research, thinking about trying to learn new softwares. Uh, I've been, yeah, trying to teach myself a lot here lately. But uh, and now I'm, like I said, I'm working for a corporation where I'm having to learn plumbing. Uh, when they were interviewing me for the position, I. Uh, I flat out told him, I said, I don't know shit about fuck when it comes to plumbing. <laughs> and uh, to be frank, you know, I, what I do know about uh, projects, I know about people and I know how to get things done. And uh, ultimately, that's why they hired me. And uh, I started self-educating myself into plumbing because I don't want to be the dumbest guy in the room when it comes to that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's a long ways away from motorcycles, but it's a project that I've been able to get my hands around. I have a clear starting point. And I have a clear goal of where we want this to go. Right, and it's, I get to build a map to get there. And that's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. you know, just talking to you and, uh, you know, the most successful people never stop learning. And it sounds like you're always like trying to learn, trying to better and get more knowledge, you know, and you're not just okay with status quo and just laying on the couch watching football all weekend and not doing anything and, you know, drinking beer and, you know, and um, well, a lot of people know me for the last quite a few years. I, you know, having a tuning center, uh, flashing ECUs, building fuel injection maps and timing maps and all that good stuff, uh, launch control strategies, you know, whatever it may be. And uh, it's it's cool to step from that into a different industry to where I can still utilize a lot of the the organizational tools that I've acquired and build it produce something cool. It's just the motorcycle is a little different now, right? Mm -hmm. uh, now the motorcycle consists of plumbers and uh, inspectors and, you know, and having, uh, having the timing dial just right is making sure we have all the parts on the trucks every time that they go out. Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of stuff into it, but I, I get to... Yeah, not, ha not having to pay for those trucks when they go out. That's a nice thing. Huh? Right. right. Uh, making sure that, you know, my guys are winning the race by getting there on time. 
you know, there's a, there's a whole different types of racing going on. And granted, it's not a, it's not the same pizzazz that I have with motorcycle racing. I I sure do love it and want to make sure that I stay tied with the industry. I'm just right now I'm having to focus on my family too and make sure that my family has a good chance to keep following the industry as well. Yeah. See, that's what's so that's what's so cool because I always ask racers. Um, so this isn't gonna last forever, you know. And everyone's gonna vie for a spot, and whether it's training people or trying to get their little niche in the state in the industry afterwards. And but you, you know, a lot of people uh, when I ask them, they're like, "Yeah, oh, well, I, I mean, a few people have some pretty good ideas of where they were gonna go afterwards." Um, but then there's a the few that are like, "I don't know." I'm like, well, geez, you know, this isn't, you know, last for, you know, I mean, you could have a wreck. It could be over tomorrow, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's nice that you're able to, uh, go into another industry, taking this industry with you, you know, and being able to apply that, you know, right. and, um, it, you're always going to be part of the, you'll always be part of the paddock. Once it's the uh, family, once you're in, you're yeah, once you're family, you're always family. family. Yeah. That's one of the things family. I loved about the paddock. Yeah. Uh, it's just another reset for me, you know? I talk about my first business that I started when I was 20, but that's not the case. I bought my first car at 13 years old because when I was 12, I started mowing yards and washing cars. And I got a, a standard uh, customer base where I went to their, their same houses every week, mowed their yards, washed their cars. And I bought a 66 Mustang and it'd be restored, but it was a running car. I was 13 years old. I drug my dad over there to get it. That's you know? awesome. So it, I started working hard at a young age. I was fortunate enough to go into independent study in high school. So I worked four tens in construction while I finished high school up until my senior year. And I wanted to graduate the class. So I went back and took a diesel performance automotive technology classes even throughout that time. It's just, I was always wanting to, the mechanical side of things is always my, my deal. I, yeah. I enjoyed every bit of that. Yeah. 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 But it's good oh, that you yeah. that you did this, the, like you said, because uh, now you can take care of your family. Or some people, I think, get stuck and they're like, oh, I got to do the motorcycle thing, even if it doesn't pay anything. And it's like, right. yeah, but then your family suffers because you can't get that that change. You know what I mean? And if, if right. you can make quite a bit of money here doing this, I mean, like, and like you've taken that uh, motorcycle experience and now you're going to apply it here, you know, and you'll still have the motorcycle stuff. It just, yeah, you might not be an owner right away or whatever, but who knows one day. Maybe make enough money here and yeah. yeah, I mean, well, this is the there are steps, right? All right. So I've got a five year plan with this company. All right, if it goes past that, great. Then I'll stay for ten. But for the next five years, I really want to see where I can go with it. I want to see how far I can push up that ladder because it's always been my company's, right? From the time I was twenty, I've worked for a corporation, but I own the damn corporation. So even if I had people in positions over my uh, my position rather than other than being a shareholder i i would learn to answer those people uh, because they're running a position that mm -hmm. uh, require decisions to be made and uh, if they're in that position i'm going to follow follow suit uh, when i was 20 i had a you know i was working on big rigs and stuff and uh, they'd always guys would always try to talk me down in the dollar amounts and stuff so i learned real quick oh you know i'm just a mechanic man let me let me i'll talk run by the boss you know, I'll, I'll see what he has to say. That way I didn't have to give in to him right then. And I could figure out a way to uh, make the customer happy without giving away all my income. <laughs> oh, yeah, but that's that's just it. The guy that does my cars, you know, I'm, uh, my neighbor, they're all in the Corvette club, you know, and he owns an automotive business. Now all his mechanics are older guys. They're not kids. And right. he doesn't give anybody a break. 
there's no because you're my buddy i'm going to give you a break because you said i wouldn't be in business if i kept giving me breaks well you that's know, the thing but, is i know a lot of gives you good people. service yeah <laughs> i know a lot of yeah. people so if i started giving buddy breaks to everybody i'd go upside down but one thing i learned is the better people you know the less they want to take advantage and those buddies start coming in wanting to give they want to help you right and they actually want to help you right they see that you're having a short month and they go, well, I need to go ahead and get that taken care of that I've been putting off yeah. and they get work in there and they're trying to pay full price because yeah. those are the people that care about you and want you in business next week. And that's the whole point. It's, and it's throughout everything. Like I, I, Amy and I talk about this a lot, you know, we're even, we're out, we love the tip, but if you give good service, I mean, come on, Chris, you know, the people that bust the rear you end, pause you for know. a second. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, Mark. No, you're good. But there it is. Yeah. <laughs> As you take a drink, you always do the little pause. Yeah, move on. <laughs> it's awesome. Brought, brought to well, you yeah, by. Yeah, brought to you by. Brought to you know by. what? I, I didn't know that this was water. Yeah, me like, neither. So like last oh. summer, I thought the, the, I was like, I thought it was alcohol. Yeah, we were coming back from the yeah. beach, and I was like, man, I'm so thirsty. And I saw it, and I was like, you know, is this like a a Red Bull type thing or something? And and then I was looking at it. It says it's water, really expensive water. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is probably from the summer actually was it really it's hilarious so who's your favorite racer of all time mike who was who, who what posters did you have up on your Chris wall simcoe he told me before the thing you said well i mean rossi was always a big influence for me so uh nikki hayden uh, uh, nikki hayden you always fall after but uh man there's so many of them uh there were so many good ones. Wayne Rainey. Wayne Rainey was a stud. Yeah. I mean, facts. Still is a yeah. stud, to be honest. Yeah. So, uh, I, I just, they were, I fell in love with watching the bikes, watching the wiggles. You know, a lot of people talk about the overall race, but I'm talking about corners. You know, when, oh, did you see that one corner where all three of them were stacked three wide and uh, you've seen the fronts just give, and your, you know, your butt puckers when you're sitting there watching? Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I dig. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather, not pick the winner of the race and pick all the, the exciting points and the where they pushed a little past that point and then still reeled it right back in. Uh, so would you be guy. for racing without all the electronics? Well, yeah, I mean the best racing ever was the Rossi on the two eleven V before it had all the electronics. That bike was gnarly. It was untouchable. Especially with cool him on they it. Did a couple races where you're you know in the season where you did, you weren't allowed you know maybe one or two two races in the season were like okay. No electronics. I mean, every, all the other ones. Okay, the problem is the especially MotoGP bikes and even the World Superbike to a big part. They're so advanced now. Not having electronics, you know, and riding something with 240 horsepower is is a pretty gnarly ride, especially when you're trying to roll it on in the corner. Yeah, those electronics are all smooth that power delivery out. You'd have the tuning on them would have to be totally different without the electronics because you'd have to smooth them through the fueling. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, they'd be so aggressive that it would be a handful to watch, to ride for sure, and it'd be a whole lot more exciting to watch. Um, but I mean, cause I, 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 I am for no electronics, but they're yeah, they'd have to be built a little slight or a little different. Because I ask people a lot of times, would um, you know, everyone's about speed. Oh, they do two hundred and twenty miles an hour. I said, well, would you rather two hundred twenty miles an hour where they're spread out, or would you rather have one hundred eighty miles where they're bumping into each other? You know, one hundred eighty. Yeah wins all into ball. each other right. yeah, who cares about right. 320 and they get in their three seconds or four seconds because yeah. it, it, then who wants to watch it it's like okay 
Yeah, when there's a big gap, it's like watching a football team running away with the points. Yeah. You know, you're the next thing you know, you're not even paying attention until the last lap. Right. You're like, okay, I'm time to go get some chips or something. You know. All right. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. And another thing is too is the wings, man. I wish they would get rid of the freaking wings, dude. It just go back to the Oh, old wait till pool. they get bigger. It'll probably look like an airplane. Eventually. I know, man, but dude, bikes were so much more beautiful without the wings i mean you know and it's it's just like my buddies all the wings this wings that i said well then why did it take them eight years to beat jorge lorenzo's track record if the wings are so much better and so much faster right all it did is fuck up our sport as far as breaking because you got some yahoo trying to keep a job trying to reinvent the wheel and you know Mm -hmm. if you want formula one watch formula one we're not formula one no you know, no, well, Formula One, they get taken out by manhole covers, so you know. Yeah, did you see that? What a joke, right? Come who, on, who, man. Who, who, what who a joke not... that was. Yeah, I was gonna say the billions of dollars they spent on that race, and it wow. And someone oh. didn't tack that down. And locals couldn't even afford to go watch it. You know, I mean and the money's so insane anymore. Like, why would you even wait? I mean, it's almost like the amount of money one team has to spend. It's like, do you really? What do you get out of it? Seriously, because the tickets like five grand, and I I knew people were going to Miami. I'm like, I wouldn't pay five. I, I wouldn't pay five grand to watch a motor GB race. So it wouldn't. No. Do, it wouldn't be. No, I, I spent five grand for the weekend, but yeah, you know, no, not traveling. To. Yeah, if you got to go on the in yeah. the back and see people, right? But uh, yeah, just Indianapolis was a cool motor GP track. I went to every year, every year except for the last one. Matter of fact, man, after this, I'm gonna take my laptop because we'll stay on for a few minutes, Mike. When we end this, I will take you in there. I have a uh, a big ass cardboard of Nikki Hayden on it. It says inaugural uh, 20 or whatever 2008 Moto GP inaugural yep. year at Indy. Man, I got so we walked in our hotel. I seen this big sign because man, we had this long ass drive. I said, "Man, I'm going to get me a beer, Dad. You go check in the hotel. You know, I'll, I'll meet you up there." And as soon as I walk in the bar, I seen this big sign, and immediately, me being his fanboy, I go, "I say, uh, who's the manager?" They're like, "Oh, blah 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 blah." So he comes out. I was like, "Hey, I'm Simcoe. Uh, I just got here. I want this cardboard cutout." He's like, "I can't give it to you. Come back at the end of the weekend." I said, "Well, can I put my name on the back of it so nobody else claims it?" He's like. Dude, nobody's. I said, I'll give you $50 to make sure that nobody takes this. He's like, I got you. I, I can't <laughs> sell it to you. I got you. Just come back. So, Sunday morning, uh, before we went to the track, I went straight down the hotel, right down to the bar. And I was like, hey, man, it, it's Sunday. Is it cool if I go ahead and, and load this up? He's like, I'll tell you what I'll do. You can't move it just yet. After the start of the race, I'll put it in the back. When you come back, It'll be back to you. You just come straight in. And I'll let you get it. And I got it hanging up on my wall. Uh, I nice. was not leaving that back there. I was like, nope, I'm coming home with this cardboard cutout. It was it was awesome. Um, me and my dad went. It was funny because my wife was pregnant with my son. See, he was born in 12. Uh, and when I go to the track, I'm such a fan. If anybody's ever went to the track, well, I, I met Sherman this year at the track, right? I'm all over the place. I cannot sit still. I got to go talk to this person. I got to go see him when the race is going on. I got to go to this corner and watch and see what he's doing in this corner versus this corner, you know, because I'm like you, Mike. I like the technical side of riding, right? It's like, all right. Um, like when Jake Gagne was at VIR was coming out of 17A and 17B, there, there's that little bump right that little dip that goes in but the way he approached that the way he 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 stood the bike up but still leaned out nobody else 
did it the way he was doing it through there. And right. therefore, that's where he was making a lot of time up was that one freaking corner. And I was pointing my buddy out. I was like, what, what is he doing different? And it took him a while until I pointed it out, right? But yeah, it was. Uh, but anyway, with the story, my dad was with my wife. And my wife's like, everybody kept looking at me and your dad like he's this old, like, uh, what do you call it? Not pedophile, but like this old rich man with this young wife, you know, pregnant <laughs> wife walking around. Cause bro, I'm everywhere. I'm here. I'm there. I'm getting autographs and pictures and doing this and doing that. And yeah, dude, I'm just such a fan of the sport that it's, it's, uh, I got to take it all in. I can't just, I'm not that person just to sit at one spot and one chair and one corner three days a weekend, man. Nah, nah, I'm everywhere. Right. And, and, uh, I feel like you get the most out of it when you do right. that. But but you're right. Indy was such a cool track. A gasoline alley to be there at Indy and physically the first time walk through gasoline alley and see all the garages and all. Dude, it's, it's, uh Where they make us pull the rigs in, man. It was so tight. Uh, a friend of mine was in the rental car watching me pull in, and it looks like you're literally wedging the semi-truck into the concrete. It, it's a cool place. I mean – it is all I the history there. I know I'd love to see him come back to Indy. I don't know if they, they ever would, but it would be it would be cool because I thought it was a different layout, you know. It was it was different. You got to utilize at least some of the long straightaway. Yeah. And man, let's just be honest, right? We've been to all, a lot of different racetracks, right? In America and overseas. Uh the sound at Indy when the MotoGP bikes, dude, there's no oh, other track God. that gives you that fucking that dude. It was like so loud and it ricocheted off everything. It was just, it was, yeah, it's insane. Yeah. Well, in that day, they're running the exhaust was a little different to it on the GP bikes. They just seemed a little extra loud to me. You know, it reminds me if they'd run, let's say Daytona, uh, it'd be that same type of experience. I think. Yeah. I, Going right, that right. bowl? Oh yeah, yeah. Coming out, dropping out of four, uh, and down it in the front straightaway. I mean, hell, I, I, I think I was one seventy-seven. I think is what they got me on a six hundred coming on that front straightaway. Ball. I had Aguilar. I think he weighed a buck thirty-five at the time. He did one eighty-eight on the same build bike. Uh, Bryce was in the one eighties too, but I mean, I was I'm a fairly decent sized guy, and I was. I cut weight down to like 185 for that weekend. So, uh, but I still outweighed them by 50 plus pounds. I think. I mean, that just goes to show how fast a proper 600 is. I mean, 188 mile, dude. Think about you know 10 years ago, dude. 1,000 was barely hitting 190 miles an hour, right? Right. I mean, yeah. That's yeah. That's uh, that's freaking crazy, bro. So let, let me ask you this, man. Celebrity crush? Do you have a celebrity crush? Oh, that's well, yeah. Uh, Oh, what Jessica Bill from Seventh Heaven? Yeah, I like I, it. I, I think she'd be the one I had to talk the wife into the free pass on if there's <laughs> such a thing, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's good. Free passes. Me and my wife had that conversation. Hers is uh, Gary Allen, the country singer. She loves Gary. Oh, Allen. really? Yes. She's like, oh, if Gary one. Allen invited me back to the hotel, I'm just letting you know I'm going. I'm like, hey, if he ever asks you, by all means, boo boo, have fun, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I get a pass too. We just laugh. At all right. Like, like uh, how how often is that really going to happen, right? Like, oh, celebrity. Yeah. Goes, hey. The whole idea. I was asking the wife the other day. You know, remember that movie, Indecent uh, Proposal? Oh my I god. Go, so, yeah. babe, what if this rich old lady wanted me to go spend the weekend with her for a million dollars? What would you say? She said, pack a bag. 
<laughs> Bring I'll it all back in cash. That's it. Bring it all back, baby. Let's go. Right. I was like, ouch. I feel so cheap. <laughs> She's pimping you out already. Yeah, you're right. right? Pimping ain't easy is what they say, is it? She's on uh, the likelihood of any woman wanting to give you a million dollars for that. Well, it's not very high, so I, she cut me back down to size there real quick. <laughs> hey, it's a nice thought, though, right? Right, right. I feel you, man. I feel you on that. Man, listen, guys, we've been at this almost two hours. It don't even seem that long. It's no. Like, no. Boom, boom, Always boom. flies. It does. Yeah. It goes by so quick. But, listen, I would love to do this again with you, Mike. I have you back on. Uh, there's still a lot we could talk about. I mean, I feel like. Man, yeah, we got a little distracted there a few times. But, but, but yeah. this, this is what's so awesome about a podcast, man. It's like you go all over the place, and it's just you find out the common interest you have with, with, with the guys you're sitting down with talking to. And it just, it, yeah, it goes from aliens. Like, like, do you believe in aliens? Are you, you a, a skeptic? I mean, you know, there's, it's a, uh, this is part of the, that I love to do is, is also find like personal away from, from the motorcycles. Right. Cause I think it, it right. an element to where people can actually connect to you on a personal level and get to know you as the real person, not, tune racing owner and you know yada, not yada, the polished yada. uh you know look to, yeah you know, man yeah, like, like peel the layers back in and, and get to know mike you know but yes there's so much more we still got to talk about um we will definitely save it for next time for sure yeah i'm down um, it's been a great time you know you guys are always been good to talk with so good man i appreciate it, man and what an honor man so listen before we get off here and, and before we end this mike is there anything you would like to say um, to anybody out there, how can somebody get in touch with you to get some advice on racing or, or your program or anything? The easiest way would probably hit me up on Facebook, uh, Facebook or Instagram. You can find my racing pages there as well as my personal. Uh, none of us restricted. So send me a message. And if you, anybody needs any advice on, you know, what they could do to make their team have better presence, what they can do to get in the paddock and you know, I'll, I'll help them with all that. So. It's All the advice I can think of. Uh, and, you know, if somebody has a pretty good program going and they want to step it up or they're or wondering why they're not getting sponsorship, you know, I'm, I've done a lot of studying on that too. You know, the biggest mistake everybody always makes is what they need. They need to start asking what that company needs to be able to give some money away. Yeah. Yep. That, that's, that's- Hundred percent right. Yeah, yeah, because you got to prove your worth if you want to come right. and give you some money. You got to show them why you want them to get what's your worth, and them giving. Well, what's you, it worth to them? Right. Yeah, that's exactly it's their money. Not, what are they getting? What's their value yeah. they're getting? For they can give a shit what you need to go racing. What they right. do care about is what they stand to benefit. Right. Uh, so if you can actually develop the whole scenario around what your the deliverables you're giving to them rather than what you need to go racing, they'll actually provide what you need to go racing. Yeah, yeah. You can always go into marketing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've talked about money. it, but you know, yeah. without foreign or uh, former education, no matter what I've done with my team, that still hinders getting you know certain and, positions. And so. right there is the problem with today. Right, if that piece of paper doesn't do anything. We used to get guys that come out of fire academy, yeah, go to the fire academy, they get got degrees in fire engineering, and the old guys would come in and say, you know what, paper doesn't put out fire. They had no clue what they were doing. Yeah. But they got sold on. You gotta go spend two hundred thousand dollars on education. That is, they're the dumbest people that come out sometimes. To be yeah. honest, because of what I've been able to do with my prior businesses, that's why I have the position I have now, and why I'm stoked. Even though it's outside of the industries I've been in, it's something that I can really grow with. So, but you have real uh-huh. life experience. Right, that, that yeah. goes past anything. 
you know, I'm not talking about being a doctor or a lawyer. Yes, you have to have higher education for that. But I'm just talking about in general, you know, um, nothing beats experience. Nothing. Right. We, we learn how to put the Band-Aids on better by doing it than we do by reading about it. Exactly. Even being a doctor. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's it's all hands on. That's that's how I learned the best. Anyways, hands on. You can sit there and put me in a classroom and read all this shit. And I'm like, like a deer in the headlights. Like, what the fuck is this guy even talking about? Then you take me out and say, this is how you do it. Put my hands on it. And I'm like, boom, click. Boom. There it is. I got it. Right. You know? Yeah, man. Yeah, I do. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes we need those projects to nip our fingers or, yeah. uh, you know, until you're learning how to pull a bandaid off. You can read about it until you're actually pulling it off and see which way the hair is going. <laughs> one way is going to hurt more than the other, right? Uh, sometimes we, and sometimes we got to pull it against the grain once to learn that you got to pull the opposite way. Yeah, but that's that. That's part of life, man, and that's what we we love about it, right? Is it, all. Hey, Mike, you, you forgot, right? Yeah, yeah, I got like this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my bad. You ready? Waiting for that logo. There it is. You want to see tune racing in a paddock? Help me get a logo right here. <laughs> you guys, listen. You heard it, man. Anybody wants to help Mike out? Let's do it. But yes, listen. I just want no. to give a. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, I was just going to say, if, if there's a way for me to put it back in a paddock and ensure that my family's good, taken care of, I'm on top of it. And right now, I'm just trying to keep the equipment in the paddock till you know those breaks happen and we can make stuff work. Which it there's a lot of good teams out there, though. If you if people are looking for to spread their money and get a little tax write off, uh, a lot of these teams don't know. I, I suggest people, these corporations, even the small ones, think about how you can stand to benefit. Get a good team up that's actually putting some effort in into their social media and that kind of stuff and say, you know, I'd like to help you out. Uh, there's a lot of people at this time of year right now, too, that's saying, oh, crap, I'm going to have to pay this much in taxes. How can I get this written off? And there's certain ways that you can go about the sponsorships and be able to write it off. And there's certain ways that you're just pissing the money away. So do it do it now. Do it well and help some, help some of these kids out that have a chance to really go in the future. What uh, that somebody... I got signed for seven hundred million dollars the other day. Oh, who was that for? Uh, Damn it! Uh, anyway, is is a professional athlete seven hundred million dollars, and I look at Football our kids probably. right now. Yeah, I'm looking at our kids spending money to go risk their lives to go around these racetracks with a small chance of them be able to go to the world level or and higher. Is we need uh, we need it to as a society say you know what instead of pissing this money away. The company I work for now probably spent $20,000 on just Christmas gifts. I had my Christmas party last night. And to think that that could go out to, uh, you know, little pieces of money like that could go out to really change a kid's life and or multiple kids' life and generate a different trajectory in their life success. Uh, I suggest, you know, I, I encourage corporations to think of, uh, helping these kids learn about marketing, learn that uh, the direction that they're thinking isn't the direction that corporations want to go. We need to teach these kids. Don't think about you. Think about how to generate what you need. Uh, and that's by providing a service or a, something to these guys. So I don't mean to preach on about it, but there's no. a lot of good kids out there that need that need help that don't have the uh, the reach or the family member, you know, the family connections that it takes. And, uh, you know, they need all of us to help. Yeah, it's, it's just like the old saying goes, right? My mom always said to my grandma, it takes a village to raise a kid, right? It also takes a village to raise a one racer. It really does. It's, it's the same principle, right? Um, so Peter Marsh, which is a 
dude, I love Peter Marsh. His son uh, races, which is a good mate of mine, Jake, uh, out there in BSB in the GP2 class. They actually run my logo, and it's such an honor to be in BSB. I never thought in a million years, dude, that I would be on a race bike, much less than my favorite series. It's Every time I talk about it, I just get this smile on my face. like you know. But anyway, Peter Marsh, uh, big shout-out to him. He says, I'm with you there, Mike. Finding a way of getting people involved is is, is proving difficult. It, it really is. Um, but, but you're right. There's so much that, that companies can step up and, and help out in the sport, even $10,000. Like you said, Mike, it's a write-off at the end of the year. And, yeah, you change somebody's life. And I don't mean to go political either, but you can either pay it in taxes and watch it go overseas, or you can actually give it to a local racer here and watch it go around the racetrack and do something. Facts. Uh, you know, they found it unconstitutional to give away tax dollars that for any sort of that kind of thing back in the early 1900s and how we've gotten around it now, I don't know. But if we're going to actually be spending our hard work and money, it should be improving uh, the things that we, that we care about in this world. One, homeless uh -huh. veterans. Uh, you hear about Social Security running out of money, but you don't ever hear about the yep. veterans being taken care of no matter what. You hear about Social Security's helping our elderly out, and they're talking about, and we voted it down multiple times, about like the Social Kids Security where these kids are receiving money. No. Hell with mm -hmm. that. The parents need to be planning on taking care of them kids, and, and the fact that they can't, we have other social programs to take care of that. But what what about our veterans? Yeah, we don't what take about, care of them. What about, I mean, that's a we, major but, but part of society that we need to be but they'll take care of anybody that crosses the border and goes into a city. It's just right. ridiculous. I mean, I, I we have it here where I live. They're all on these corners with the signs. And they have perfect writing, perfect penmanship, and they have Venmo apps. I'm I mean, we could go we could go long rounds and another two hours on that kind of stuff. And yeah, it, for sure. Yeah, I definitely want to keep the focus on our young kids and the yeah. money that we should be putting towards 100%. them. And if we can actually get the same kind of write-off and not have to send it to Uncle Sam to go overseas and we can put it in the racing account of one of our young, talented athletes, let's make sure that we can go that direction. 100%. Um, I couldn't have said it better myself. I couldn't have said it better myself. You are absolutely right. It's – it's uh. Yeah, man. So hopefully uh, there's companies out there that want to get involved. If if there's have any questions, man, reach out to Mike. The man. most that costs them is a little outside of the box thinking of how they can do it rather than spending it to Uncle Sam. How can we re redirect uh, this money to to benefit somebody in a, a grand way? Yeah, yeah. That, that's a that's that that is a great idea. Because they I know a lot of people break. that are spending tens of thousands of dollars because they get wrapped up, and next thing you know it's December and they don't know how to do anything about it. Uh, and there's a lot of things that we can do, even if it's put it into a grant for a kid, uh, you know, to go towards that later on. And they, you can, there's lots of things you can do. Talk to your tax guy, talk to your tax attorneys, uh, find out how you can help somebody out rather than just giving it to Uncle Sam and uh, to somebody foreign war, somebody else's foreign war. Yep. hundred percent. I wonder if we can come up with like a new charity just for that to help out racers i i know they do have several of them but um you don't ever hear about them um yeah i mean a lot of charities you know start out with a grand idea i think with and you know they get manipulated or they some of them stay with a good idea and just get bad idea or bad people talking about them uh, but i think if we had a charity that could be the donating source and keeping the right uh board of uh, trustees and it going out to the right directions is the key. Uh, a lot of charities end up paying themselves way too much. 
uh, with any charity, uh, people working within the charity still make money. Nonprofits, the people working on them still make money. We need people that aren't greedy, that aren't there to make a living. They're not there to get paid. They're there to make sure these kids get money in the race accounts. Correct. I, yep. I would love to do that. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I it almost will That's all it, come yeah. to that if we want to keep racing going in the United States anyway because it's getting so expensive. These families are pretty much mortgaging everything. Yeah, they're going belly up. That they're gonna, on a hope that they're going to be able to race. It, right. That and that's the problem them. is, uh, you know, it's a decision made solely off of passion and, you know, the will to, their, to give their, their child the most opportunity or possible. And, there's a lot of families that just aren't bouncing back from it. No, I mean, trust me, yeah. there's a lot to bounce back from. And when you mortgage the, well, in my case, the motorcycle shop, just to make sure the racetrack rolls, uh, it, it can be tough. Yeah. And scary. Cause that's, that's your livelihood. That's, uh, right. you know, if goes belly up now you're, you're all in this debt. Right. It's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, that's a, a good idea, that. though. Yeah, yeah we is. need it's to hit great. that on that more, Chris. We will uh, on the podcast. We need to talk about that. Yeah, we will. You know, absolutely. You, we can even keep the middleman out as long as we get these corporations just saying, you know, dedicate a little more time to think this direction rather than the, the traditional. All right, it, I know, I know companies that go out and buy spare engines for their equipment and all this other kind of stuff just to let it set in the, because it was a write-off and rather than sending the money out. But rather than having a bunch of engines set around that you're never going to use, you could actually, like I said, change somebody's life. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't agree more. That's We need to come up with like a marketing employee to do that. Yeah. Well, well if we can get some momentum going, you guys just let me know how I can help. Yeah, dude, for real. I, I, dude, I would love to. I would love to do it, man. That, 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 that's my whole thing, too, with the podcast, right? It's helping all the young and up and kids, giving that platform, that voice, that that you know just help them out in any way i can you know because mark asked me earlier what my favorite movie was sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you chris but uh pay pay it forward Mm -hmm. Uh, it was a movie based out of las vegas about a young Mm -hmm. kid uh that movie is touching but it's true and if we could all so just give a little more than uh, a little more than what we normally ask for and uh not for ask for anything back for three times in your life just three times yeah. Uh, it could change the world for multiple people around you and even your own. Uh, you know, little yes. things like that. And I'm not, I'm no saint, guys. Don't get me wrong. I've, yeah, uh, I've lived no all saint. kinds of crazy life. You know, I yeah. grew up as a kid fist fighting and doing all kinds of stupid shit. But one thing that I know is if we can affect even three lives moving forward, that that gains momentum and changes who countless lives. Right. Up, up the line from there, you know what I mean? And, and it all starts with us. That's the thing. Right. It's not the government; it's us. It's us. We're right. the ones that can affect the change. We're the ones that have the power, and we're the ones that can do it. We just have and the more that it. we take ownership of that change of power and that that power in itself, the more we take ownership and actually have integrity and pride in ourselves, uh, the more that we'll start pushing forward to that. And that's something that's starting to get lost: is integrity and pride, uh, the moral grounding of what our society right. once was and what it needs to be. Right. And then we'll take pride in our kids again and we'll take pride in our standing you have strong the world kids again. again too. They won't be so right. weak as they are today. I mean yeah. they, they really can't handle much. Strong sure. fathers create yeah. weak weak children and uh it's you know we've got to go work through that generational situation. So yeah. yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I agree with you. I do. So yeah, let's do that. We'll we will have a chat, man, and see what we can do, man. Because I would love uh to be able to help 
young racers out. You know, I don't want anything in return. I just, I just want to, it puts a smile on my face just to help them out and, and re realize that they're their dreams. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do it, man. We'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do, but yes, listen, goes, we're two hours into this. Yes, dude. What a podcast, <laughs> man. I love it, dude. Mike, I love you. Thank you, Mark. You already know. I Thank love you guys you. for Thank having you. me on. Yeah, that man. was awesome. Always no good to bullshit with you guys. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. He, Peter said, Chris Simcoe, check your WhatsApp. I will here in a minute, Peter. Uh, but before I get off here, I just want to say big shout out to Peter like I just did. Uh, his boy, Jake, man, I, they are such mega lads. Uh, if you want to, please join Club 45 to help them out. Just basically what, what, what me and Mike was talking about. They have a club. So what they do is, is, is they'll do like a club. that have like 50 slots or 100 slots, and you donate whatever, 50 euros, 65 euros, 45, whatever, right? And that goes – it puts you in a drawing to where you can win free BSB tickets, a hat, a team shirt, yada, 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 which I think is a great idea, right? Because it's it's like – free donations but yeah it's really good but anyway guys go check them out if anybody wants any pin to gas merch look up the clothing kings dot uh co dot uk they make all our merchandise yes all you gotta do is hit them up and get you a hat a shirt a beanie hat nice. a jacket wh wh whatever it is that. is you want yep right there it is <laughs> um so yeah and and just big thank you to everybody that always watches and supports the podcast uh listen i can't thank you guys enough what an honor it is to be able to do this and share my love of this sport with all you people and uh thank you guys so much so yeah until next time my man mark sherman my man mike pond i'm chris show simcoe and we will see you next time thank you so much see you guys you see got, ya. oh wait hang on but before we do this we gotta do this one more time oh yeah yeah Logo coming to you. Logo <laughs> coming to you. You heard it here. First on Pin the Gas. See you guys. Later. Yeah.